Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Uh, it hasn't been long since the last one, which is great. I'm super happy that, you know, feeling healthy. I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling ready to rock and roll. There is one more week of school before March break, so that is excellent. Um, I have got my wife's blessing to do a bit of an adventure throughout my March break on the fat bike, uh, the Panorama Shick Shocks. I've been lucky enough to ride this past winter, and um, unfortunately, I've had to change my plans drastically. I went to look for tickets, and probably made a mistake in this aspect. I I decided to um to wait until after Wendigo to see how I felt with long fat bike rides and whatnot. And when I went to check the flights with Air Liaison, which is what flies to all these little rural communities in Canada or in, within the region of Quebec anyways, um all of a sudden there were very few flights on that week where two weeks ago there were flights five days a week and now it was just Wednesday, Thursday and I was like, what's going on? What's what's happening? No way everybody bought Monday and Friday tickets. It's not even March break in Quebec. So it's March break in Quebec is this coming week. So it made no sense to me. Um, I called the airline and check and they said, oh no, we just don't have flights those days. And I was really confused. And uh, obviously that, meant I had to change my plans and I posted on a Quebec fat bike group and somebody actually replied and said actually if you check out this and that website you'll see that large sections of the Route Blanche weren't open this year due to uh, ice melt water not being frozen adequately it just didn't get cold enough and so basically that just meant uh, well it's a good thing I didn't buy tickets because I don't know if they would have been refundable, so it would have just sucked. Um, however, that has allowed me to kind of try to figure out some alternative plans. One of those plans is to ride the Petit Train du Nord, which I rode with my family last summer um, as a nice big slow tour with the family. And it's about from Montreal or from, uh, from Laval. It's about 240 kilometers each way. And I thought that'd be really awesome to do the whole there and back, 500 kilometers. Large sections of it up until Mont-Tremblant are, uh, are groomed for skiing and fat biking and walking. And then there's a couple sections where it's not. 
and it's res- it's I wouldn't say reserved for snowmobiles because apparently snowshoers are allowed to use the entire trail from start to finish, and that tells me that it's just not groomed for fat bikes. So if, if people have snowshoed it and it's packed, by all means, you could totally ride on it with a fat bike, you know, lots of blinking lights and whatnot. And uh, so that's one of my options. That's one of my ideas. It would be to drive to Montreal, stay at a cousin's, leave my car at their house, and uh, just start riding. The other option is to ride the derailleur, uh, which is a combination of the Ottawa Valley Rail Trail, Kingston and Pembroke Trail, and the Cataraki Trails. And it makes it about 320 kilometers long. Or I could do a little diversion that takes me up through my house area, and I don't have to drive anywhere, and it makes it about... And, and you'd skip some rail trail and add in some paved roads or gravel roads and stuff. And it would make it about 500 kilometers. So there's that option too. And I do believe on the Ontario side, on those particular trails, they have huts uh, spread throughout that are for the skidoers, like emergency shelters, that, um, you know, they have stoves and stuff in them and they're warm and they're heated. And, you know, I could also use those. I could make use of that resource to you know, warm up, cook a lunch, get out of the weather for a bit, that kind of thing. So I'm not 100% sure what I'll do yet, but probably it's looking like one of those two things. Or alternatively, I could just do a long out and back and cycle from like Smith Falls on the OVRT and then onto the Algonquin Trail all the way to Petawawa or as far as I can go and turn around. Once again, it's rail trails, got to be super careful, lots of lights on and Um, you know, just to be safe. So yeah, I'll figure that out very shortly. I'm already starting to pack things. So yeah, anyways, as for the podcast, I guess Patreon, I wanted to thank David Whale. He's uh, one of my longest Patreon subscribers. He has been supporting this podcast for probably two and a half years or so. And, uh, he just increased his contribution, so it really means a lot to me. Thank you, Dave, and I know we sh- we, we do message back and forth as it is, so uh, I've already said thank you to you, but thank you again. And um, yeah, on that note, anybody, if you guys like the podcast, I know it's, I'm always saying, hey guys, if you like the podcast, please support me, but it really does go a long way, you know, one of my biggest goals with this podcast was to, to not have this impact um my family budget or as little as possible. I mean, you know, for Christmas one year, my wife bought me a new microphone and stuff, things like that. So that I I wouldn't be spending the family money. It became a present, but the goal is always is to, um, you know, cover all the annual costs and the occasional equipment upgrades with, um, income that comes through Patreon and stuff. So basically I've always managed to just make it break even or come close to breaking even at the end of the year and um, I mean there's always something I'd love to to add to increase and improve things and particularly when it comes to the website because it's slow I probably have to hire somebody to go through and take all the pictures and make them smaller and stuff because it's just time consuming and I just don't have the time for it and I know it's a huge project because when I started this thing I didn't know that you should put like relatively small pictures in your website to keep it fast. I just kind of uploaded everything the way it came. So 
you know, cell phones take pictures that are like 10 megabytes each. And so I have a shitload of pictures in there that are way too big for, for, um, making a speedy website. So anyways, unfortunately that is the way it is. I have to, to address that sooner or later, probably sooner than later would be good. But, um, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Let's talk about this episode. I, in this episode, actually, it's really interesting. I'm it's a conversation between me and my cycling coach, and he also hosts a podcast with uh, Molly Hertford. And uh, we had a conversation, and he also recorded it, and he wants to release on his side as well. And I was trying to figure out what would be the best way to do this. Should I crop out everything that I've said that you guys know so well already? or? Uh, but I felt it just kind of take, took away from the dynamic, even though it was pretty one-sided each way. So it started off with, Peter asking me lots of questions about what I do, and then it flipped around. So let me just read the intro, and then you'll know more. In this episode of the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, I had the opportunity to speak with my cycling coach, Peter Glassford. At the Consummate Athlete, the goal is simple, to help people lead their best active, adventurous lives through coaching, videos, podcasts, articles, and events. Throughout our conversation, we talk about my own personal journey into bikepacking and what I've created for the greater community, both in terms of the podcast, route sharing website, my own Grand Depart event, and of course, my latest endeavor, the Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit. We then spend some time with me asking Peter about training, eating, and the importance of heart rate as a means of measuring performance, alcohol, and more. I really don't remember all the things we talked about, but we uh, just kind of unloaded everything that was on my mind to him. Far from being the usual podcast style that you're so used to listening to, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Peter. And uh, if you do enjoy this episode and you're looking for more guidance in your own preparation for the upcoming season of uh, whatever cycling adventure you have planned, I do highly recommend you check out consummateathlete.com. They have a whole range of different types of um, coaching and uh, there's probably something for everyone there. So... I should also add that Peter was rolling right from the top and uh, I just kind of started rolling and we were talking. So either way, I'm really excited, super excited to have Peter on the podcast and uh, I would like to wholeheartedly welcome him to the Bikepack Adventures podcast. So we're here. We're going to talk bikepacking. Sure do you thing. Wanna, do, do you want to describe yourself for the consummate athlete listeners then? Yeah. Uh, My name's Chris Panaski. I'm uh, I'm actually a teacher. I spent about 15 years living abroad and really got back into biking uh, in 2011. So at that point, it was really road-focused, triathlon as well, a lot of triathlon. Uh, As I'm sure you'll learn about me, I never followed a real training plan. I just kind of went out there and rode my bike, went out there and ran, and... You know, I never did particularly well. <laughs> that was that was kind of my thing. I was like, oh, I'm a, you know, an Olympic distance triathlete. I would do two hours. I think the best I ever did was 237. 245 was kind of average for me. So I, I don't think it was particularly great, but I think it was, it wasn't terrible. So I was enjoying it enough to, to keep going and do all that. Um, moving back to Canada in 2019, I traded up my road bike for a gravel bike. And then I ended up doing a big trip out west, which was more, wasn't a gravel ride. It was, I'd say, an ultra-endurance-paced uh, bike ride. There's my dog barking. I apologize for that. Um, part of life, I guess. Uh, it was more of an ultra-endurance distance ride. So I, w- I was covering 190 kilometers a day average, um, 
road bike. Oh, it's a gravel bike with um, it had you know slick thirty twos on it, so good speed and uh, ultra ultra minimalist setup. Moving into after that in twenty twenty, uh, I really started uh, um, doing a lot more gravel, and then I learned about bike packing routes and. I had this gravel bike, maximum tire width, 45, centimeter, 45 millimeters, and that's what I used for a long time. So, yeah. And other than that, of course, I, I host the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. So, yeah. Keep pretty busy. And, and I mean, on I guess we may as well just get it out there. Now, you're, you know, you're hosting, you know, not just the athlete side. You started talking about that, but you're also hosting, you know, you've now moved on. You, you're, you're making bike routes out in Ottawa, Quebec, region, yeah. but then you're hosting a, a, a summit. Uh, so do you want to tell us just briefly? Sure, that yeah. Well get it out. So in uh, 2021, so it feels like a year ago, just over a year ago, December 2021, just after my daughter was born, I was sitting here at home and, you know, I knew where to find various bikepacking routes in the region. Um, and my mother-in-law was here. So I also had this plan that like, hey, I'm going to have a ton of free time because my mom and my mother-in-law is here. So I'm going to get out bikepacking more. And... Um, I, I knew where to find the routes, but I knew a lot of people didn't. So I was getting messages from people saying, hey, like, where's a good place for me to go biking? Where can I go do some bikepacking? And I really felt like there was a there was a gap. You know, everybody uses, uh, I mean, Ride With GPS is great because it shows all the routes, but there's no, like, vetting, right? So you don't know if it's just something somebody rode once or if it's something that's been ridden hundreds of times. And then bikepacking.com is really American-centric. And I think other than British Columbia, they had the Colt in Ontario and the T-Railway or Trailway in Newfoundland. And that was it east of, like, Calgary, you know? There was there was nothing. And and I knew there was dozens and dozens of really good bikepacking routes. So I decided to build a website and put them on there and share them. And, uh, yeah, and then for the summit, well... I knew about the Canadian, uh, no, it's called Bikepack Canada Summit that used to take place in Canmore. Um, they started there in 2016, and unfortunately, Corey, uh, the host of the podcast and summit, passed away. And I know his partner held it for 2018, 2019, and then COVID happened, and it just kind of fizzled out. And I don't know if they're restarting it, but even at that time, I was like, oh, man, it would be so awesome to go to this thing and and meet some of these people and participate but it's really far, you know. Canmore is not a cheap flight. You got to fly to Calgary, and the good part is you get to ride your bike to Canmore. Um, but you know, I think it was outside of a lot of people's means. You know, like a, a, a several hundred dollar event quickly becomes a couple thousand dollars when you factor in accommodation, flights, all that stuff, food every day, and um, so yeah, I, I had been thinking about doing something like this here in the region. I know there's, you know, we have. Uh, over 20 million people in this area just Ontario and Quebec alone and I thought this is something and then there's of course there's northern U.S. which is even a bunch more people Vermont New York and um, I thought we need something out here and I might as well do it since nobody else is yeah yeah and so I guess just briefly then is you know it's is there going to be some rides people are going to learn I saw first aid was on the like what what sort of if someone was looking to come we'll put the link in the show notes of course but you know what what is the summit uh, yeah, you know what, what? What are we doing? Yeah, so um, you know, I kind of went through other summits and looked at what they did, and and I knew they were successful. So I thought I'm going to kind of follow the same prescription. You know, um, we're going to have morning rides, so two to three hours, seven a.m. till about ten, uh, maybe nine ish, ten ish, that kind of thing. Um, 
and that will give people a chance before the first speakers start at 11 a.m. to to shower up. Or um, so we're holding it in the Meredith Center in Chelsea, Quebec, and there's a hockey rink there, so they have change rooms and showers and everything. So it'll actually be a quick place for men and women to have their own showers uh, if they so choose. Or you might maybe they'll just do like a you know, not a really yeah. great term, but a hobo bath. You know, wet wipes and yeah. give her down, wipe down. Um, well, it's the bike packing experience. Bike packing bath, yeah. yeah. And then, um, so yeah, from 10 to 11, it'll be a time for socializing, coffee, snacks, that kind of thing. And then we'll start with presentations. So we have people that we're going to talk about bike packing in Ontario, bike packing in Quebec, um, sharing their experiences. I didn't want to just be like, I didn't want it to be an extension of the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. So I wanted to keep myself just more as the organizer and less as like, um, not doing as many presentations because I'm sure I could talk about lots of things, but there's also other people that are really, really great. And the whole idea is to to build community and involve as many people as I can. And yeah, um, yeah so first aid is on there. I, I know a guy who's a doctor. He used to be an ultra distance runner. Um, and he's kind of like, we we're talking and he's put together a, like a cheat sheet of first aid things, you know, what pills to use for what, you know, if you have like, indigestion, gastrointestinal issues, if you want to sleep really deep for an hour and a half, or um, when to take caffeine to be most effective, that kind of thing. So, um, and as well, some basic first aid, you know. I was going to say, I like you're starting with the sexy first aid stuff, and then the, like, you know, when you cut your leg open really bad. (laughs) Yeah, and, and like, what to carry that is multi-purpose, right? Because you can't carry everything as a bike packer, especially if you're racing. You're, like, my, and, and I'm really excited for that presentation, because my first aid kit is a joke, and if I were to have anything serious happen, I would probably be pretty screwed, you know, <laughs> I, would, I would have issues. It's the real scary thing, whether you're planning, uh, you know, a, a club ride or a bike race or anything, right, is a lot of this is, you know, we think we're doing well, but it's just we haven't been tested, right? It's yeah. like, it's not, it's not necessarily a good decision. It's just you got away with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's I what that's I feel great. like it is. <laughs> yeah, you're covering a lot of the bases. And and I think I saw in the speakers, there's a very a range, right? Which is what we're going to get into today is this range of bike packing, mm-hmm. uh, which is true probably of every type of cycling. I guess there's, you know, the, the I, I would put them in like the more traditional touring, like they're taking their time, mm-hmm. they're looking around. And then there's the increasingly more of these racers or um, absolutely you know, FKT riders. Mm-hmm. And, and it looked like you had a range of these presenters these participants uh coming to it as well and that was yeah that was a big that was a big part in consideration as well is because you know like i've had messages come in saying is this newbie friendly and i was like absolutely like this is for everybody you know you're gonna you're gonna have a chance to interact with people who are big time racers like megan hackinen i'd kind of consider myself mid-time racers and and then you'll have like people who have toured the tour divide who have toured the Great Divide mountain bike route. Well, I, actually, even I'd say Eric and Jen, they're, they're, he's a retired teacher. Um, they've created the Log Drivers Waltz here in Ontario, Quebec. And, you know, I wouldn't say they really toured the Tour Divide. Like, they were pounding out huge days. And, and they're not 42, you know? Like, they're... Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't know how old they are, but probably late 50s, early 60s. They were doing amazing days, you know? And mm-hmm. so, getting from their experiences. And then I have another friend who's presenting, and he went bikepacking in Georgia, where he did hours and hours of hike a bike and um and then he um toured the great divide mountain bike route and you know keeping smaller days 100 kilometer days and getting that experience right so yeah Mm -hmm. a very varied group for sure okay so that's that um i guess while we're on that that overall topic of what's going on in the ottawa chelsea region for uh 
bike packing then is you know then you also have your grand depart for this canadian shield ride and that was i had this written it's down, in september you, you this me. yeah, yeah september go. i think it's september 9th, uh, 9th 2023 um yeah i decided to change it to the fall this year so last year i had it you know there's a couple other big events here in this region um like the butter tart 700 in late June, right around the solstice. And then the uh, log driver's waltz last year was in August. This year, they moved it to the end of July. And I was trying to figure out where I would put this. Last year, I stuck it right around Canada Day, Canada Day, just before Independence Day in the US. And it was a mistake, you know, it was too many people had too many things going on. Um, the participation levels weren't quite there, but although it was a great small event, because I actually really got to know the three people that came. and. Um, I figured for this year, I'm going to put it in September. I think, you know, kids are back in school. So if you're a father or a mother and you're trying to get away for a few days of biking, that's a perfect time because your partner can really pitch in those evenings and they don't have to worry about it during the day. And also it's cool at night. It's not boiling hot and it's not wicked hot during the day. It's, you know, just a nice temperature for riding. Um, yeah, there's no mosquitoes. That's also a really good thing in September. So lots of, cool. lots of good pros with uh, doing it in the fall. And we'll link to that too, but that's, it's a, is this one, it's a thousand? Is that what the... Yeah, so there's three distances. I originally had just created some routes and and then I realized I could stitch them together and create, kind of make a, an amazing bikepacking adventure that could really, you know, um, challenge anybody of any level. So it's, I feel like it's a little bit more mountain bike oriented in the sense that I've put in some ski hill trails and things like that. But, you know, definitely... On those routes where there's that option, I tell you, you can you can bypass this and ditch this area, you know, for your own safety. If you're not a, if you're not so handy on the mountain bike, um, but yeah, there's a 400 kilometer, 1,000 and 1,300 kilometer option. So if you're really looking to push yourself, 1,300 kilometers with I think 16 or 17,000 meters of elevation gain, it's a it's a big one. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get into then a bit of this training stuff. You know, yeah. I, so you know, I, 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 and I, I work with you know busy people who you know generally want to do big things, and that can be gravel, you know, mountain bike, stage race. But it strikes me that bike packing is is growing um, for a few reasons. I think the fact that you're not tied to someone else's date, unless you're mm -hmm. going to do one of these ground parts, you can leave on a Tuesday and and come back on a Friday if you want. Um, and, and so I do think that it, it's like an interesting thing that people are starting to train for which almost seems like sacrilege you know in the you know for the touring yeah it, it's an interesting development i think so what what is your like do you feel like that's people are i don't even know how to phrase a question on this but do you think that this is more common now that people are, are shifting even away from racing and doing bike packing or, or what are you thinking where, where are we going in this yeah it's really weird it's a it's a weird um yeah, it's a tough question because you know, from my own personal journey into bikepacking, um, I was just riding gravel and, you know, I knew about the Butter Tart 700, it, which is, starts uh, about an hour south of Toronto. And I was like, oh, who would go ride 700 kilometers? But, you know, I was going out for rides that were like 150, 200 kilometers on the gravel bike. And then one day I decided to do this rail trail loop that we have um in Ontario and it's a 320 kilometer rail trail loop. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go try to do it in one day. And it was miserable weather. It was one degree Celsius outside. So that's like 30, no, it's like 34 degrees Fahrenheit. It was raining the whole day. It got below zero at night. Um, it, it was, it was a horrible, horrible experience in that sense, but I did it in like 24 hours and a half, 24 and a half hours. I, I even had to sleep for a couple hours. 
um, somehow managed that and um, in an emergency bivy, which I don't know how I didn't get completely drenched. And at the end of that, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I could do a 320 kilometer ride, which is 200 miles in one day. That's pretty cool. And so, yeah, then I, next thing I happened was I, I saw that this route had been done in, I think, 86 hours. And I was like, I could do that way faster than 86 hours. Why won't, Why not try this? Like, I enjoy pushing myself. I think maybe that's the, you know, the road cyclist in me, the triathlete. You know, you're pushing yourself to to the point of puking kind of thing. And so uh, being on a bike is, is happy time for me and pushing myself to, to new limits, which... Uh, I hadn't really experienced um, big time sleep depression, uh, deprivation at that point um, was a good one. Now you got, so that was the BT 700 that you got the FKT. That was 2021. Yeah, that was, and that was 56 hours. And then you went back in 2022 and this is always the tricky part with anything is now you have a a ruler, right? And you've pushed your limits Mm -hmm. and then it's, you know, now you have Oh, well, I can improve this. So a lot of times that second one is is a tricky. Yeah, and, and you and you probably know lots about this event because you you coach Brooke as well, and uh, and he he set the FKT and beat me, and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was it was an amazing experience. I I mean I was going in there with a couple niggles and like slight injuries that I wasn't quite confident I could do what I had hoped to do. I also felt that I was undertrained, but I knew that mental was a big part of it, and I thought you know what I. I've got a, I could push through this, you know. Um, I think I was doing well until I lost my phone, and then that all just kind of played out in my head, where I decided that I didn't think I could do it anymore. <laughs> and yeah, then it, it felt it, like there was no coming back from it. So maybe my my mind game wasn't there, but the physical was also causing me issues. And yeah, yeah, and I don't think you know we said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I think Molly actually said it, and it was. She DNF'd uh, one of the races she did on running this year in Quebec and similar, right? Like she had sort of a, it was more a, a position or a, I, I guess it was a time for the thing, mm-hmm. but she wasn't, it wasn't a good day. It was falling apart. It was getting a little unsafe, same as your event mm-hmm, would, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going into the darkness, feeling a little, you know, mixed. Um, so it just gets dangerous too. And it's, I, I think once you push your limits, like at some point you you're gonna push over and and it you just it's gonna you're gonna fail. And so to push your limits, you almost have to accept that yeah. that could happen. Right? And it's it's an interesting thing because like <clears throat> bikepacking is, you know, you're you're going into the unknown a lot more than if you were riding across Canada on paved roads. You know, it's it's much more rough terrain. You know, prone to injury, and you're putting yourself in that position by not sleeping and definitely at times being undernourished or underhydrated, um, you know, it happens. And there's a lot of factors that can go wrong. And, you know, one of the beautiful things of, uh, or one of the beautiful things in a course like that is that you can bail out, you know, if you feel that you're in that situation. But also, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a really tough choice because you know that you're doing it for safety is the, the real reason. And but it's it's hard mentally to to give up and i've only ever given up one other time on a race and that was a a marathon in singapore and i got some really bad chafing early on i think it was like eight kilometers in and by 10k i was like this is stupid why am i keep going like i was bleeding you know <laughs> yeah so yeah. um yeah it is tricky we had one uh molly and i were going for i guess it would be the supported fkt on in, on the killarney loop it's a, a, like a hiking loop usually and similar to the bt like most they say seven to ten days but then of course crazy people try and go and do you know one one to two days yeah um 
and same thing like 10k in her knees like you know it band and it's like you know you're sort of at this like it's a loop where you're in the great wilderness for you know until you get back uh so you sort of have to decide at some point like are you continuing the loop Mm -hmm. or are you bailing uh and this gets into like the first aid and the risk assessment and it's not just a closed course you know looped eight hour relay or something where Mm -hmm. you just get in your car and go home if you're you know or if you crash there's medical personnel there right away and the good thing i guess in that sense too is like you know she was with you and so there's two of you and you can make that decision together. And in a grand apart, like last year where I was, I mean, yeah, I could have kept going because even if I injured myself, somebody would come across me in the next 10 hours, you know? So yeah. chances of me dying are pretty slim, but do you really want to ruin your whole season of biking and everything over one, you know, really bad judgment, you know? So it's a tough one. So we'll stay on the training. So you mentioned Brooke and, um, I put this to you just in our, the pre-questions I sent you is it strikes me that there's sort of when I'm looking at the different whatever someone's doing I always want to know sort of like who are you mm-hmm. like what have you do- what have you done you're coming from road triathlon so yeah. like, you understand some stuff um, but you know there's the other set of it strikes me there's the more touring backcountry hikers who you know lighting a fire or first aid or you know mm-hmm. just any of these things what do you eat all day when you're moving all oh, day oh sure yeah yeah. So there's sort of like people have these different skills, which, you know, we're thinking about the who's coming to your summit, you know, you're even a brand new person might be really, really good at some of these elements. And yeah. and your sport is one that, you know, a Tour de France person or someone like myself that just rides 90 minutes, you know, up and down on a closed loop, you know, with two tech zones every 10 minutes we have, we see our mechanic, right? Um, it, you know, the engine is, is a very small part, as you say, there's like yeah. the, all the, the skills, but the mental pieces is, is huge. So I guess where, when you came into this in 2021, which type of those, which side of the spectrum, I guess I sort of sold it to yeah. you, which, which side, like, did, did you have, or are you in the middle? Like, did you have backcountry, like camping experience? So I, I was actually in the army reserves for six years when my late, uh, or in what, 2000 and 1999 to 2006, so seven or so years, um, Mm-hmm. So I, I did a lot of infantry stuff, you know, lots of survival in the woods. And, you know, usually we had guns, but no real bullets. And um, so, yeah, I, yeah, I had the experience. Being outside at night is like, I just don't do it. Like, yeah. even just going out to walk the dog out around the house, I'm like, I ah, don't like darkness. It's I'm still, not going out. There's still moments like where it's beautiful <laughs> and there's moments where it creeps the living hell out of you, you know. Like, um, shortly after the BT700, I, that later that summer, actually, or maybe it was September, I went and raced the Log Drivers Waltz ITT, fully independent time trial as well. And that night I was riding past a farm and I heard this dog, you know, it's heard me, it saw me, and it started running. And it had a really deep bark, (laughs) like really deep, you know, and all I could think of is like Cujo or something. And Mm -hmm. it was running and huffing and like the barking was getting closer. And, you know, I'm, I'm in full adrenaline mode, biking as fast and as hard as I can. I'm sure I'm losing it, but in, in that mind, in that moment, you know, I probably went 15 minutes until I was completely bonked because it was like the real fight or flight syndrome, right? And I chose to flight at that point because I couldn't even see the dog. Sure. And um, so I have those moments, you know, nighttime can be weird. Um, your mind can play tricks on you, especially if you're tired. Um, yeah. Um, do you have any tools? Like, I mean, whether specific to dogs or nighttime, like how do you, you know, you might be scared, but then do you have the tools like that? you know, you haven't freaked out and, you know, phone to get someone to get you. Like, how do you deal with those? Um, yeah, I've just kept going. Uh, one time I thought I heard a bear and that was the same thing. I couldn't look behind me to see it because 
the little red blinking light does not produce enough light. And so I just started accelerating and going as fast as I can. But no, I don't carry anything that would help me. Um, maybe I have a pocket knife sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, very rarely. So, so you, what is it, fright or, uh, flight or flight? Yeah, um, there is yeah. no chance to fight. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, from there, so training. I'm wondering then, so we have fitness buckets. I'm just going through our little yeah. list here. Um, you sort of touch, I, I want to get onto some of these quicker hit things and I, I like, I'm keep writing them down and I'm, I'm holding on to them. So maybe I'll go on that. You mentioned lights then. So what, what is like the key setup? Do you think, you know, you're going to go and, and spend three days. Like, what are you using for lights? Then? Sure. Yeah. Um, before I jump into that, actually your last question, there was something I didn't really answer to that. And that sure. was, um, you know, like when you talk about, it doesn't matter what kind of engine you have, it's there's all the other aspects. They really do play into it, you know, and, and I think if you look at the Tour Divide and Sofian Sahili, like his average speed, there, there were riders out there that were just as fast, average speed, but he just doesn't stop, you know. He sleeps a few hours a night. His, his, um, his rest stops at stores to buy food and get water and stuff are extremely, extremely tactical. He's in and he's out. I mean, of course, there's times where he vlogs and stuff and takes a little bit bigger break, but... He would spend more time than anybody on the bike. And so he would finish faster and first, you know, so it's really comes down to how you manage your time and manage your stopping time. And actually that's why it's harder when you're with a friend because people pee twice as much. They stand in lines twice as much, you know, a lot more time is wasted. If you're, you're with a partner, when you're by yourself, you're actually faster. Um, Mm -hmm. I think so. I think that's how that saying goes, right? You go by yourself if you want to go quickly or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually how it goes, but. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm learning that and it's, it is an evolving process. I feel like I'm getting better at it. Um, it takes a lot, a lot of practice to figure out when to eat, when to drink, how much, how many bottles to carry, you know, like Brooke, I'll, I'll give that guy credit. He did something amazing. He, he realized that, you know, the first 200 kilometers of the log drive, uh, the butter tart 700 are very flat. So he carried his camelback and water bottles ready to go for the whole time so he doesn't have to stop enough energy for the full 200 maybe even 300 kilometers because he knew that until until he got to the blue mountains it was relatively okay and then he could carry less water because of all the climbing and that was a really smart tactical move i kind of didn't think of that you know i had two bottles and i was like you know i'll just stop it takes two minutes to fill up water but two minutes wasted riding is is like a kilometer ish and it's funny this this is like uh almost like a pacing strategy and, and tactics where we do it a bit in mountain biking XCO where it's like one side of the course might be flatter or cyclocross is like mm-hmm. this too, where you might change like even for tires or something like that too. Um, but it's, yeah, these micro pacing strategies mm-hmm. where, yeah, you know, and, and in the blue mountains, as you say, there might be more stopping, you know, the, the convenience stores might be boom on the route and then you're you yeah. know two minutes to grab a Mars bar and two things, a Gatorade or whatever, and away you yeah. go. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. And as you asked about lights, um, I use the Dynamo Hub. So Ooh. I've been very lucky um, to to have some great friends and sponsors and stuff that could give me cost pricing on stuff. And so I was able to build up some wheels that had Dynamo Hubs. And that's okay, well, tell us about this. I don't know if so, this, you know, again, some oh yeah, one, people some people might not know. So Dynamo Hub is a, the front hub of your bike. Actually, has a I guess it's magnet. It's, it's it causes a little bit of resistance when you're riding even if you're not using it but the resistance um charges like runs like a i guess through magnetism makes an electric circuit which can go up and charge and power devices 
So <laughs> my lights are run by dynamos. I also have a little power pack type thing that hooks up to the dynamo so I can charge USB devices. Um, yeah, and even my back blinking light is through the dynamo. So that's really convenient. The downside is they're not always the best on mountain biking. So if you're on a mountain biking style route, like the BT700 has become more and more sections of off-road and it becomes hard to climb a hill with a dynamo on when you're producing so little light. So you still kind of need a secondary light uh, that you can just flip on for those big climbs so you have better vision and you don't hit that big rock that's going to stop you dead, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Going downhill, though, as soon as you start, it's super bright, like wicked spread of light. Oh, so the would it... Does it power it, I guess, directly? Yeah, so it powers works? directly from the dynamo to the light. Most of them, some, there are some brands out there that will power to the, the whatever, it's a like, converter, like a, to the ACDC right. converter, and then go to your light. But okay, most that's of them I, seem I think to. that might mm-hmm. be new. I mean, that's, I, I knew what you meant when you said that, but I, it, it's, I'm going to say it's new mm-hmm. to me uh, that even that, that you would be using it, I guess. Yeah, but I think for, for stuff, um, I might stick to the dynamo more for the the gravel ride ones like the log drivers will also be a perfect example because it's a lot of gravel sections where typically you know it's not like a tough rough mountain bike climbing section so i think the dynamo is really good there the lights that is um but for something like the bt maybe having just a normal light is better and having the dynamo just running your running your power you know so you can actually you get better watt illumination with your light at all times through the night, and then you can just charge it via power bank. Gotcha. That's that's like little tactics like that, though. Things you got to figure out slowly. You know, it's really it is tough. Yeah, and, and trade offs, right? I guess with all of this, is it's always a trade off. Um, you know, in the strategies and tactics and the mm-hmm. gear you're carrying. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. Now we're we're through this all this training and and back and forth here. Um, when we're thinking about gear then while we're on that, um, before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks fat bike, the Katadin gravel bike, and the Taiga mountain bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra fat bike race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. You you mentioned making routes. So I wonder, you said ride with GPS is a good one for routes. Is there anything mm-hmm. else, you know, if you're designing, whether it's a training route or it's, you know, what else, what are the other tools? These are online tools, not so much like tech you're carrying, yeah, yeah. but... But you could go into GPSs too. Uh, when we're navigating, the skill of navigation is key for this. Like, mm-hmm. what are the tools? Yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, I use a Garmin five thirty. It's not the best. I'm hoping to upgrade this year because, I mean, when you're if you're just doing normal bike touring or normal bike pack touring, it's not such a big deal. You know, if you leave your course slightly, the Garmin's are five thirty particularly um, is a little bit slow to re 
re-get that, like to, to come back onto the route, especially if you have it set to not redirect your route, because if you're racing a route, you have That's, to stay to the route. Yeah, bad call. But it says like Don't off course, recalculating, and you know it's not, but you come back to your course, but nothing's showing on your screen. So then you're pulling out your phone. and um, mm. But the Garmin, these Garmin's and Wahoo's and stuff really, really do make your life way better. I mean, there's a lot of routes you couldn't do without some kind of mapping software, you know? You can do it with a paper slow. map. You would you would be really really hard up if you tried to. Um, yeah, and maybe that's like that's like a new category of FKT. Maybe it's just like the the raw. I've heard of some events that are wanting to go back to this like you know non technological era. Um, just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to you know saying no technology at all. Now you can use a phone. So one thing that's nice with Ride with GPS is you can have a premium premium account. And that gives you access to download the maps and use them offline. But you don't even need to have a premium account. So, like, for example, I have it. Um, I have this uh, tourism package. So as part of Bikepack Adventures, Ride was really great. They gave it to me instead of making me pay 500 US for it. And that's why I have this maps that you can see all the different routes. But one of the beautiful things about the tourism package is you can create a club. And any route that's on my routes list, you can download um as a club member and have access to turn by turn navigation, which is really, really kind of the key functions you would want. Um, and you know, like Matt Katie also has a club. He has a similar touring package and it's a really, really powerful tool that if you don't want to spend a hundred dollars a year, us or $80 a year, us on this, uh, on this premium membership, you can just join a club. And as long as they have the route that you want to ride, you can now have access to some of the premium features. Okay. And do you do anything with uh, the other, like, you know, you're still like, have a heat map com- oh. or anything like that? Um, not too much. I mean, I feel I'm totally one of those. If it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. So everything goes to Strava anyways. But uh, <laughs> and I guess the thing is, some of the stuff you're riding is potentially not like the popular gravel or mountain bike routes. You know, you're connecting stuff. On yeah, the, so it, might, it might not when be I'm exploring much. and stuff. But yeah, so if you look at like, log drivers waltz and butter tart 700 and um which is now closer to 800 kilometers for those interested um or mine the canadian shield like they're starting to get a little bit more on the heat maps but um it definitely takes time and yeah they're not the most popular for sure mm-hmm. okay um when, when you're talking about a new device i know some are using like e-tracks and things like this is that what you would upgrade to or um, what are you thinking of next device i know some racers are using e-tracks because they're battery powered you can change the batteries you don't have to worry about um you know like they take double a's i think and they're they're quite good for what they do but they're not like your smart devices like a garmin or a wahoo um i'm thinking maybe would be i would be amazing would be the garmin 1040 which just came out and it's solar powered so i think you can get an incredible amount of battery life out of it just with it when you're riding um you still need to charge it but it's it delays the inevitable death of the battery right i think so and that's the 530 is a smaller screen i think i have a 520 Mm -hmm. is yours it's about the same size yeah it's this it's the model after the 520 so okay and yours is maybe touch screen or not touch non no not touch screen. okay Yeah, I know the E-Trex is what Ryan Atkins, uh, do you know him? He said like the, he's like the obstacle course racing uh, champion mm. of maybe the world right now, um, but also an avid cyclist. And he did, I did a rod last year and won that. I think oh, they, okay. He, he tied. Nice. So, but he's uh, also gone for that Killarney loop and he's just like a beast of a man. Um, but he said that was one of the mistakes he made earlier in some of these FKTs was he had run it, his watch actually died while running the one and, and he like got it, but like, 
didn't get it yeah. as you say it's it's not on strava so yeah uh so he switched to e-trex and especially for that i did a rod which is another level of exposure and yeah. extreme conditions but so i thought that was a good recommendation but, yeah i i but, have one but i've never used it though i have an older mm-hmm. an older one it was just before the one like everybody uses the e-trex 30 or something i forget okay. what it is in the model mine's like the 25 and I do um, think the new ones may also pair, like they paired a bit uh, to your maybe, devices. Maybe. It could be. I'm not sure. It could be a different one, but mm-hmm. but the the solar one, I saw Kabush, Jeff Kabush rode with that the other day, a big ride, and and he said like it was he was still at 80% battery, like 12 hours in a full navigate, yeah. like he was following a route, which is pretty good. So the 530 um has a battery saving function, which I really like, and it turns off the screen after I don't know, yep. five seconds of inactivity and um you know when you're riding on down the road for the next 25 kilometers you don't need the screen on and so i usually have it on battery saver mode unless i'm in a really wooded jungly section of a ride and then i'll i'll turn it off so that it just stays on and keeps my me sent me sane um but it lasts for like 30 hours you know like it has a really good battery life um <clears throat> so I'm, i've always been impressed with that Okay. Um, I had a question on here. This is back to training a little bit, but you know, for the more we'll call them, I call them tour de France, but I'll group myself in the, you know, the more the, the fitnessy people, Mm -hmm. uh, with little, you know, scared of the dark people like myself. So what would you, we usually ask this question of our bikepacking guests is, is, you know, what would you suggest for someone starting out? You know, I, I have dreams of, of going for BT, you know, period or as an fkt but sure you know baby steps what would you say like to start get, moving myself to the middle of that spectrum i decided you know army you know backcountry yeah. camping to tour de france you know our spectrum well, how would you have me edge that way yeah i've always been kind of into the deep end of the pool kind of kid so maybe i'm not the best at answering this question but um well i mean you could have a different answer but, uh, you have to but, say the same thing but you know what is. um on that note i mean my wife and i we did uh we did a trip last this past summer um with the dog the baby sister-in-law and it was going to be their first time all kind of was well, i wouldn't really call it bike packing but it was kind of a tour down a long gravel a uh, long rail trail and we actually brought the camper along we have a 17 foot camper and so on the back of the suv and every day we would ride and then we'd get to rest spots and I'd leave them to rest and I would go back with my dog and bring the vehicle closer and then we'd ride some more. And when it hit nighttime, we'd just camp for the night in the little comfort that we had, which was the camper. And with, a, you know, the baby was six months old, so seven months old. It's really nice to have a, a place to put the baby and change diapers and not doing it on the grass outside all the time. So it was a really good introduction way to them. Now my sister-in-law has said like I want to go bike packing with you and like what kind of distance could we do what should we do so there is a way to build up to it. I think um my 10-year-old nephew wants to go on a trip with me next year. So I think we're going to do an overnighter, something not too long. So this was my recommendation. Maybe uh rail trails are always good because they're not going to destroy your body, you know. So they're easy, uh but they're still enjoyable. Um, and then find a place to camp. So we'll probably use a paid campsite just for that extra convenience for their first time. And and then next day, ride back to our start point. And then as you build up and you get used to like setting up your tent at a paid campsite and, you know, you have porta potties and stuff, then you can kind of move for move on to the next stage, which would be let's try wild camping, you know, um, just camping in the forest and if you're really uncomfortable with going deep in the forest just find somebody who has some property like i have two and a half acres so if you want to come up to chelsea and you say hey can i camp in the woods behind your house sure you know let me know just send me a message and uh, we'll organize it 
And it's a great way because you're 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 close to some safety and conveniences. Because I mean, you know, they're everything that I have at my house you'll find in the forest. Like we have deer that come by, wild turkeys, bears. Um those are things that are the reality in Canada, um, in North America for that matter. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in Florida, but um <laughs> And I like implicit in that, or, or you know, what you said too is maybe going with other people is, is probably a good first step, especially if you're yeah. scared of the dark. Probably That's true. helps there. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you have some redundancy and skills, and maybe there's some teaching one way or the other um, that can happen yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. That's good. Yeah. And I think that both those are, are great points. Um, I like that. That's a new answer. Sometimes the answers become are the same every time. But yeah, and, and part of that is figuring out what you need and what you don't need. Because a lot of times, like bike packers carry less because you tend to like you tend to spend more time in the woods and going up trails or up mountains. And you know, if you're carrying saddlebags that are lo- fully loaded, you're you're going to have a miserable time pushing a bike with four saddlebags on, or even two. It it can be tough. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I know people that do it because they vlog and they travel the world and stuff, but they're doing this as a full-time thing. So time is not of the essence at all. Um, but right. you end up having a lot of kit you don't need. So things that you're like, oh, I didn't need four shirts with me. One was enough. I could just wear it and be dirty, you know, or have two. If you're going to be many days, I think when I cycled 5,500 kilometers in the west of Canada, I had two shirts that I would wash in the river when one when I had a chance and I would hang it on the bike while I'm riding to dry off, you know. So maybe not the dust-free version of cleaning, but it was all right. It was pretty effective. Same and with the materials, socks. Yeah, I mean, even materials on that, like you must find, like, do you do wool uh, shirts and socks and stuff? Or what do you do? Um, yeah, I have a really nice, um, I have one piece of kit that I really like, and it's a seven mesh uh, mountain biking shirt. So it's kind of like three-quarter sleeve merino wool. Um, no, is it merino? No, it's not. But it's super comfy. Like never causes, like, nipple mm. chafe or anything like that. So that's, that's you know, key. <laughs> Uh, there's nothing worse yeah, than wearing a bike yeah. jersey and you start getting like nipple chafe and you have no solution because your first aid kit is crap and then you're like, oh, I don't have it's band-aids those, in there. <laughs> yeah, you, you think it's like not a thing and then when it happens to you, it's just debilitating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're I don't you're running, have, it's running a marathon, running a triathlon section with your holding a jersey away from your sh- chest, you know, it's the worst. Yeah. Runners tend to know what you're talking about. It takes a bit more for cycling, but yeah. it's like the right shirt. I think it must be those loose shirts, maybe, uh, you know, all day long. Um, maybe, maybe is what ha- happens, yeah. but maybe it's yeah. gotta be, you a... don't, do you t- go ahead. Do you tape your nipples for, for cycling too? No, no, but I usually have some band-aids with me just in case. Um, but then the issue yeah. is you, you end up, so you're sweaty and you have to like pause to dry air off so you can actually stick <laughs> band-aids on. So it's, um, you're out. Airing out your nipples. There you go. Yeah, but I haven't really had that issue too much with biking, but there's been a couple times. Yeah, I think the more right, the no. more important problem is chafing, and that's uh, that's of course it's of just the more obvious. What? Yeah. yeah, and and you know it's a million arguments on that. Some people say you don't need padded shorts; just use a Brooks B17 leather saddle or a Sal Anatomica or. You know, and then there's people who use those and then they, they try a padded short and they're like, oh my God, why have I been letting myself suffer for all these years? You know, this is so much comfier. And I think it's just about cleanliness. Um, you know, one of the things I read a lot, especially with things like the Iditarod and stuff is you have to take the time to clean your body. Um, chafing is bacteria that is, you know, you're getting rubbing, but the bacteria is what causes it to get worse and worse and can cause infection. And so there's people that say, you know, every twice a day you should stop and wet wipe yourself you know at least clean yourself 
get off any bacteria and then apply some new cream and go from there. And I use a lot of chafing cream or like a chamois cream. Um, mm-hmm. So it's definitely something I carry with me. That's a weight penalty, but I know some people that don't. So it's, yeah, and so much of these endurance events, I try and drive this home with clients is, you know, the the completion or at least the starting of them, you, you need to get a bunch of those because the experience is like if I was going to bet on someone, you know, for whether this is to finish the BT or set the FKT, it's you want to know who has experience. Um, you know, someone like Brooke or yourself, like you, you, you did a lot, you screwed up a lot you know, yeah. and, and practiced on short, shorter and whatever. Right. But if you were going to bet on me going out and just rolling, maybe on fitness and just other experience, I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there's that you, you're going to, you know, better than anyone, like as it gets dark and as you get to 12 hours and 13 hours and 14 hours, like, you know, okay, the old mountain bike guy is going to crumble here, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to be a little, but too, yeah. I think mountain bike plays a lot. And so I grew up biking like every other kid i'd like to thank every other kid out of the city so i wasn't a city boy um grew up on a lot on mountain bikes i did some little races but nothing like super of known like i I raced for the there was a military race in trenton ontario and my dad was military and i i joined their team as the mountain bike section you know so it was it was fun and that was kind of like one of the only races i did as a young person but i rocked it i came second and i was 15 years old you know against some people Mm -hmm. who are real bikers and um so I've been always on a mountain bike in my younger years. So I'm really confident on the mountain bike sections. You know, I ride my gravel bike like down single track, like it's a mountain bike, which is, you know, stupid. But um, <laughs> it, mm-hmm. I, I'm very confident on it. And I know other people who are racers like, um, was it Megan Hackinen, I think, when she first started. And she's an amazing. She's going to be the keynote speaker at the uh, the summit. But she's not a mountain bike buff you know and so she's like yeah there are sections where i walked my bike downhill because i'm like this is crazy and i'm not gonna ride it um but she's still an amazing powerful powerful cyclist and very smart with her stop time so she does exceptionally well um it really is anybody's sport you could be a road biker like lachlan morton and he's crushing roots you know um that and that's what i mean the the fitness does a lot like you especially that type of fitness and experience and his mindset is like he has a lot of the stuff the experience yeah but i I think what you would say what i mean by like when it gets 12 and 13 hours is you just don't you know you're not ready for the mental challenge you're not ready for the chafing or you can take the time to wipe wash you know or or this is the short or this is the light or so those are the things that i mean like experience you know we say complete before you compete um yeah and i think we chatted about this the other day morton may be expected accepted but and and i think we chatted about this the other day i said you know for me personally that first 24 hours is the hard one like as i get into those later parts of the first 24 hours is where I really notice my legs aching on climbs and stuff. You know, it's where my body hasn't just shut off that pain sensor yet. And my legs are sore, but I can still climb. Maybe not as fast as I was. But after those pain sensors kind of disappear in day two, I feel like strong again. And the climbs are easier. Um, it's weird. But that sounds like experience to that me. That could right? be just you, experience, you, you, yeah. Well, you, you at least can lie to yourself and say that you're not going to feel pain or there's less pain now, but it's like you've just gotten, as you say, you've probably gotten used to it. But I might get so scared at 13 hours that I'm getting tired and slowing down or, mm-hmm. or it hurts that I quit. But then That's like true. you say, there might be like a, there might be a peak. Yeah. I, I feel <laughs> uh, the peak is it's kind of like, it's kind of like um, uh, fasting, you know, like if people that have you ever done a long fast? That first, I find that sure. yeah. that eighteen to thirty six hours is really, really hard. It's it's exceptionally difficult. Uh, you constantly feel hungry, 
But as soon as you get around that 30, 36 hours, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm really not hungry. I'm just happy to have a bottle of water, you know? Um, mm. So I've done a couple that are like 75 hours and stuff. And, you know, after Somewhere that first day and a half, found... it's pretty good. The mental piece of that, I wonder, I've experienced this on bike, sorry, on backpacking, so walking, mm -hmm. hiking. Um, on the third day, like, you know, your brain's busy with work or, you know, when is this day going to be over? When are we going to get yeah. to the campsite? And then I find that there's almost this, it just stops and you're just walking, you know, I guess it's meditative, it's Zen, whatever mm -hmm. it is, but you just, I wonder if that's part of it too, is even when you're racing to try and get, you know, to the finish line for a certain amount of time for the FKT stuff, I wonder if you, your body and mind just accepts that, yes, you're not getting off. You're not going to go sit and watch TV. You're just going to pedal. Yeah, I don't have the luxury of going, oh, when am I going to get to the campsite? But you really start to focus on that. It's hard to keep the end out of your mind. And mm -hmm. when the end is still so far away, it's really hard to stay motivated. So you have to look at like the small picture, you know, like you look at the next town where, you know, I, I make a cue sheet <clears throat> and I know Brooke does too. Um, I make a cue sheet and save it as a background on my lock screen of my phone. So I don't even have to unlock my phone. I can just tap it a couple of times and up comes this cue sheet. Mm -hmm. And I can see what I need to see. And I say, okay, in 30 kilometers, there's a Tim Hortons suite. And that is my next goal. That's my goal for the next 30K. It's just like, come on, Tim Hortons. I'm going to crush a couple apple fritters and probably grab a muffin to go and maybe a small coffee and, um, you know, or a cold brew in my bottle and, you know, just something like that. So whatever motivates you. Uh, me, it's usually food. And, um, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, the chunking is probably the the strategy there for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, little little wins, little achievements. It's hard at nighttime though because everything's dark and you feel like you're making no progress. So like nights can be really long. And and as I think we kind of alluded to before, like figuring out how to stay awake. Like I'm I'm really good until 2 a.m. or so. Then I 2 3 then all of a sudden I start the tired the tiredness starts to hit me, you know? I start to get really sleepy and that's when I pop a couple of caffeine tabs, um, you know, pills and, and that next 40 minutes or so is hard to get through until they kick in. But so I think learning that, you know, okay, I know at two o'clock I'm going to start to get tired at one thirty, I should take those pills, you know, and then mm -hmm. I'll be, I'll be good to go sooner than later. And yeah. So maybe the, the pills are a good entrance into this. I, I wanted to get to this and, you know, we'll, we'll try and wrap up here. Drugs. Soon. <laughs> yeah. On the topic of drugs. Um, do you think, you know, in gravel this last year, especially the unbound, I don't know if you just saw, they just banned arrow bars. Um, at I unbound. didn't see that. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's now they're banning stuff and, and you can't be too racy. You can't be too arrow at the event. So are you allowed to have a loop handlebar, you know, like a uh, redshift makes this a uh, gravel bar with a loop I, on it. I wonder. I think I saw there was like questions towards that. Um, yeah. So there's probably an amount of extension off or something. I'm not sure. I don't know. Interesting. Um, so I guess my question to you is, do you see bikepacking? Do you, or, or have you experienced even like, are, are there purists, the people with the Brooks saddle saying, you know, stop racing this and oh, climbing yeah. it and, yeah. um, you know, you're ruining the spirit of bikepacking or something like what, what's your, what's your thinking on this? Oh, yeah. Someone I mean, who's positioning themselves doing summits and, mm -hmm. and the, the big bike pass packing adventure podcast, like yeah. what, what's your view on it? Yeah, there's definitely that. And I mean, there's, there has I've I've heard it like I just rebranded the podcast to Bike Pack Adventures. It used to be Bike Tour Adventures, but I mainly because of the website for Bike Pack Adventures and the podcast, it was too many social medias, too many websites, and I decided to put it all together. And 
I know that bikepacking is the most popular thing, and it's also what I tend to do a lot more of these days, so I thought that that rebrand made sense. I still interview bike tours, you know? But even at that time, when I originally started the podcast, and I talked about, you know, riding the Mehongsan Loop in northern Thailand and how I did it in five days of riding at 650 kilometers with, I think, 13,000-something meters, you know? It's, it's a lot of climbing. People are like, why would you do it so fast? You're missing everything. You're not enjoying the culture. You're listening. You know, people are really negative right away. And I was like, man, I still stop after about, you know, I ride hard for 10 or so hours and I still stop in a town. I get off my bike, I shower, and then I go for a walk in the village and I eat out in the market where everybody is. You know, I'm still engaging. I'm still doing those things. It doesn't really change. I think, so that's bike touring. And when I road western canada i still had people say how can you do 100 kilometers 190 kilometers a day you're not interacting with people you're you're missing the whole purpose and i was like no my purpose was to ride a bike that was my purpose as a cyclist you know that's the kind of my personality i said Mm -hmm. some other people their purpose might be out there and meet as many people as they can then do that you know ride slower ride less meet people i wanted Mm -hmm. to ride a bike so it really comes down to what you want to do and i think bike packing is no different you know like a lot of the times you're in the woods in a you know you're not really around people anyways i'm riding my bike even if i'm on arrow bars my head is up i'm still looking around you know um mm-hmm. if i come across another cyclist i mean bt 700 there was myself brooks this other guy named les and oh another guy from sudbury i forget his name now but we were more or less in each other's areas throughout that first 200 kilometers that day you know we'd come up side by side and we talk for a little bit we still had interactions we we talked are there about rules about drafting like are you so are we you didn't very- you're, you're allowed side by side you're not allowed front to back okay yeah so you know and if somebody was too close on your wheel you'd say hey man you got to back off a bit because you can't draft that close or I'd, if i noticed i was creeping up on somebody i'd slow down and so it's sort of like iron man like it's not you know you just do the best you can i guess but yeah um okay so, yeah so anyways um long story short i think that I mean, I've heard people say that, you know, by racing it, you're not enjoying it. You're not doing this. You're not waking up and making a coffee and standing outside your tent. So be it. You know, I can do that and go camping. I I can still do it. I have other days of the year, you know. What is, so you're doing unsupported FKTs, right? Yeah. 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 Typically, I think all bikepacking is still considered unsupported FKTs. But then now you're running into things like the Lael Wilcox debate where, you know, her, her partner was out with a film crew making a documentary. And because there was that interaction, people are saying that it doesn't count. And, you know, it's a, we're not a debate we're going to go into right now. I have my thoughts on it as well. Um, but I understand both sides. You know, I understand her side saying I'm an experienced bikepacker and it's not really affecting me because I could pick up the phone and call her anytime anyways. And I understand the side that says, you know, there's an advantage. And I think maybe the one, the only advantage I can really lay claim to there that I think is an advantage is there are times where you're going to be more careful when you're alone because, you know, you can't just pull the plug and sure. call it quits and say, hey, come get me. I hurt myself or I'm done. Where if you're friends or partners or, you know, you have a crew out there, you can push yourself so much harder because, you know, you have that safety net. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the one area that's really the probably the the main thing there <clears throat> well and you get into like i guess that's it right is with supported so you know even if you i guess if there's no support there's no supported but mm-hmm. even if 
Brooke's able to watch, say you and Brooke are riding and, and you're ahead and he can see where you're going, right? Then it's like, that's, you know, exactly. there's, there's, ta- there's even tactics there with navigation too. So it, it's tricky. And it's like, on one hand, if we just didn't care and didn't time it, then it doesn't matter. But this is where it keeps escalating yeah. um, to, to what you're allowed to do and what you're, you know, finding these gray areas. And, and, and to what people are going to do, like are going to put themselves through or take to make that happen, right? Like I think mm-hmm. you alluded in our prior conversations to the state of <clears throat> state of gravel riding at the moment where people are, you know, doping and stuff just to get that win because maybe there's no blood testing yet. Maybe they have already started. I don't know. In the World yeah, Cup gravel know. stuff they have, I know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, bikepacking, is that ever going to happen? Who's ever going to be on a, a Grand Depart or an ITT start line to say, hey, I need to put a little needle in your ear to take a blood sample well there has to be money usually for that exactly but it's it's yeah i mean it's if 10 you know you had three people who were pretty good if this year there's 10 right then it's just it keeps going and that's part of with gravel it's getting dangerous because there's 10 and 20 people in a group going very very fast on these high speed sections so it just gets competitive from that perspective now if there's no if there's no supported then some of the really wild stuff uh i guess doesn't happen um, I asked Matt Katie, you know, if, if I show up with a car and, you know, two bikes that are different and full support, like from the car the whole time, or like a moto uh, for supported, how did he feel about that? And he was like, said it was probably fine if it was supported, but to be careful. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, um, you know, he, I think he, it, it was an interesting conversation because when I uh, first set the, um, FKT. I mean, only because I started a few days before the Grand Depart, just because my schedule didn't work that way. So I did an ITT instead of the Grand Depart. Um, it was beat a few days after me by Theo Kelsey. But, you know, there was another guy out there riding, but he skipped some of the really hard sections. So at first, Matt was like, you know, yeah, but he rode the route. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I could I could go and I could do a lot, loop around the block and say, I rode the route, but I just skipped most of it, you know? So it's and and ultimately yeah you know in the spirit of and and i know some people like the route designers he never designed the route to have people going and setting records he thought it would just be people out bikepacking that was it you know Mm -hmm. just going and having a good relaxing time riding seven eight hundred kilometers with friends (laughs) and he never predicted that that would happen and but through a discussion we had um he's like yeah i guess people are going to come for that so it has to be fair you know so every EFI, they say, every effing inch. And mm. um, so you should ride the whole route, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure if you went out there supported with a crew and stuff, you would probably go and say, okay, well, that wasn't in the spirit of the FKT or the ITT style. So we're not going to give you the fastest known time, but we hope you had fun. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, fair. I mean, I guess you can do what you want. And yeah. in some ways it's it's safer, I guess. But And it comes I, down I to the would... root director, you know, whoever's the root director, well, I guess they and can I thought, set whatever yeah. they want. My my idea was that it would be like the breaking two, not quite to that level, mind you. I'm not that <laughs> inflated, but uh, the with the marathon, the running marathon, where I was like, I wonder how fast someone could go, right? If if you were, you know, just all of these things, like the best bike, never carrying stuff, you know, fuel yeah. at all times. I don't know. It would be interesting if you had a like a TT bike for that first hundred kilometers, and then you had somebody there with a mountain bike off the car, and you jumped on it and rode that five k of trail. I was thinking, jump back on the TT bike. (laughs) In breaking two, they had like a flying V of really fast, like ten k runners or marathon, like fast people who would come in for like ten k poles or whatever it was in a flying V, 
And then, so I was, okay, so you're drafting even just people riding. It doesn't have to be a motorcycle or anything. Mm -hmm. But then also they would have the route. So you'd have maybe every 100K people who know that section just like the back of their hand. So you get into three stage and you're just going with someone who knows it back of their hand. I don't know. I think, what do you think? What do you think is possible? If if there was just, Uh, if someone had the fitness to ride for 24 hours, could they do it in 24 20 well this is 800 kilometers you'd have yeah you'd be going pretty quick and you know i think that no i don't think so i think you i think if in that perfect scenario you probably you know because you still need to stop to go to the toilet you'd still have to probably you don't necessarily need to sleep but if somebody's handing you bottles of water and food you don't really need to stop much um if you're really willing to go full Ironman and piss yourself, I mean, that's your choice. <laughs> uh, I mean, on downhills though, really, I mean, this is getting into tour de France and everything else. Um, yeah. I don't know what's possible. Yeah. I, I know that, you know, in these eight hour relays, someone like Adam Hill um, does, you know, a hundred, he does 24 hour race, 24 hour he, races and he's powerful. He, he does a hundred miles off road with a fair bit of climbing, you know, at, at the eight hours. So yeah. I don't know. You know, do you times that by three and are we close? And then that's all mountain biking. So do you go faster yeah. for the, those 300? Well, at, the, at the Hurton and Halliburton this year, he did nine loops of 27 kilometers. So yeah, it's, it's a lot, a lot of distance. And, Especially, and now we're drafting, you know, and you're yeah. light. And I don't know. I don't know what's possible. But yeah, I think go. probably 30 hours or something, you know. I mean, Brooke did it in 48. And I think he, he, he set a really high bar there. He mm-hmm. has definitely yeah. set something to, to beat. Okay. The last question I had for you today was, um, you know, in your training now, last year you did that eight hours of Hurton and Halliburton. It was an eight hour race, but mm-hmm. you know, short, I, it's one of these things I say a lot of times you step down a, a distance as you're training like speed, uh, you know, marathoners do half marathons, mm-hmm. you know, and that's sort of their, sure. their speed. So do you think that that's, you know, if someone's looking at even, you know, just a quicker, you know, they don't have to be going for world records of bikepacking, but if someone's looking at a BT 700 or a cannonball or whatever, and mm-hmm. they want to go quick for them. Do you think something like these eight hours is, is good speed work, so to speak, or, or, you know, the B race, the C race getting ready. What do you think? Hard to say. I think, um, long rides like that. Uh, I mean, you're the coach, so, but I think long rides like that don't really do much for your speed. I think, you know, what you have me doing now intervals and stuff is really where you're going to build the strength and power to be able to put that speed out. I think long rides are good just to test your equipment, test your own mentality, your mindset, uh, your ability to set up a camp real quick at night, get an hour sleep, get up, tired, but pack up and go. I think those are the the things that are important about a, a longer ride. So, you know, I think, yeah, one, a 300K ride. I did one long ride before I did the BT700, and that mm-hmm. was the 300K rail trail ride. It wasn't even a challenging, tons of climbing, crazy ride. Uh, it was just one longer ride that was a 24-hour period. I think after that, most of my rides were short. I didn't do intervals because I didn't have a coach and I I wasn't really good at planning my own stuff. So I did like, you know, shorter 50, 100, 150K rides. Um, so I was mixing it up with a little bit faster, harder riding on the 50Ks, 160, 150K. I would be, you know, trying to set a time i don't remember now what it was but i was just trying to trying to get it done in a in a relatively fast time mm-hmm. and um so i think that's more important and i, well, think, I love that you said that yeah i love yeah <laughs> so so it sounds like you you almost think if you were so 
it, I, you know, you can only do so many of these big rides. So I love that you said that, like you have to, you can only train with the time you have. You're, you have a, a youngster and you have a family and a job and all this. So you only have the time you have and your body can only absorb. Like you just because you're a bike packer or something, you know, you can't do, you can just do three day rides every single day of the year. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that you said that it's not always obvious. Uh, so you said your longest ride was one 300 K ride. Is that yeah, what you said? It was 320, I think, or 300. Yeah. And I can see what you're saying. Cause I, I, I struggle sometimes <clears throat> with the eight hours too. You know, if people are getting ready for something like Leadville or unbound or, um, or something like this, this bike packing, and it's not quite the thing, right? It's a lapped race with your cooler there and mm-hmm. your family's there. And you're saying you might be better to even just go do a 24 hour or a pretty big ride where maybe you have to camp, you have to carry gear because the gear, as we say, is so important and the button seat time is important. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, on that note though, hurting Halliburton's great because it is you know, you don't necessarily, you could be out there for eight hours, but you don't have to be trying to push six or seven or eight laps. You could say, I'm going to go out there for eight hours and every two hours I'm going to take off and do a 27 kilometer loop and I'm going to push my hardest, you know? So like make it like sprints, 27 kilometer Mm -hmm. sprints. That's a, that could be one workout in your training seminar for the year, you know, to, to push yourself on these four sprints that are 27 kilometers, which might take you an hour or slightly under or slightly over depending who you are. Mm -hmm. But you'll have like a 45 minute break to, to rest, you know, get a massage from your wife, whatever, or partner, husband, whoever, and then go do it again, you know, so that you, you can push yourself. And it's also a a really social atmosphere. So you will meet people along the way that. Yeah. Which then gets, you know, maybe the 24 hour would be a ride would be a good one for me to do before going for a BT, you know, FKT Mm -hmm. or whatever, whatever. Um, But maybe for someone like, you or or someone who hasn't done a lot of racing let's say they're not even you but someone who hasn't done a lot of racing but maybe feels okay about the 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 backcountry mm-hmm. camping side of things maybe they should try some racing because you're going to get some of this more aggressive stuff i always say anything like sprints and racing yeah and these short things it makes everything else seem like slow mo like nothing in the bt is happening that fast <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i love that feeling when you're racing and and you see that person in front of you and it's like i'm gonna catch that guy yeah. Or a girl. Yeah. And I'm going to pass them. And and then when you do, you feel pumped and then you're, you're pushing a little bit harder. And, you know, so it's it's a motivating factor for sure. Have so. you experienced that in bikepacking where you're sort of slow motion, you know, going by someone and like, okay, we'll see you, dude. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and I've also been on the receiving end of that. So last year when Brooke and a couple other guys started pulling away and I was like, oh, I just can't keep up with their pace, you know, like they're, they're really crushing it. And I was mm-hmm. like, come back. Right. <laughs> Yeah, which is hard. There's a mental piece to that, isn't there? Yeah. So I mean, I it was it was a tough. It was an interesting event because I'm very social, and it was hard to to be at a grand apart where it's so social. And they also had a they had a somebody making a documentary, and he was at certain checkpoints, and I was just using those times to like stop and fuel, and so I'd have a snack and talk, and because I just like to talk, and like I wasn't yeah. in a really braced mindset until at the end of the first day and or towards that night and I was like you know I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna keep pushing they're not that far ahead um but then I lost my phone so yeah yeah it was an interesting event like I went there not feeling like racing not feeling super prepared and but then deciding part way into it that I would and so yeah I think I gotta go there with clear intentions and it'd be much better so this is one of our secrets with consummate athlete is you plan the race we call that race if you're gonna race um yeah. and that's it's pretty key. It's nerve wracking yeah. this yeah. time of the year to, to call Molly says calls this calling your shot. Uh, I think is race. If you're going to race, we register and we, you know, 
we train for it, right? And it, it, yeah. it seems obvious, but it, it's you're, you'd be surprised at them or people who go one way or the other. They show up and they talk themselves out of it or they they just, like you say, you show up and all of a sudden, <laughs> okay, I'm in it. Um, yeah, so as a coach though, like <clears throat> how how has, I mean, you have a few bike packers that you've been coaching and how has that been different for you from your normal job of coaching athletes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back and forth. Like someone like Brooke is someone who I haven't worked with for a few years now. We, we chat back and forth here and there and we try and have him on the podcast, but he's someone who's been done the like cross country racing thing really, you know, in the strength training and the intervals and then got just super into the, as I say, the more of the, the camping, the backcountry, and that sort of thing. And then just did adventures and then sort of was like, Oh, well I can actually go pretty fast. I know how to do intervals and keep mm-hmm. myself, you know, pacing and all this stuff. So that's the one way that's been interesting is just seeing my athletes like almost have like second careers uh if you think about it like that right um but the other subset is the people who are trying to just get as fit as they can with the you know their busy lives and and then coming in and so it's interesting because there there's these two sides of the preparation there's the the training the fitness side uh trying to get them fit and strong and everything else and then there's reminding and, and researching all this stuff we're talking about the the gear and the the roots and the grand departs and the food and all mm-hmm. this so so it's been good i would say it's almost like a second uh, or a, a new lease on different disciplines and learning for me as well yeah and have you you've always been a biker of some sort right biker runner that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, what's been your predominant um you know type of bike sport yeah i mean i've loved mountain bike like cross country or what we call uh cross country olympic uh forever but i've always because i trained pretty seriously um in my 20s and was in ontario a lot i would do running so i've run a lot and skied a lot and um you know i took kinesiology in school so i just love i I love sports right so I, i love to move i'm a bit of a fidgeter so yeah, I, I just love it all. So that's our whole consummate athlete idea is that, you know, we want to have seasonality and the ability and, and expand our ability and our communities mm-hmm. in all these different sports. So I love, we have running friends and strength training friends and, you know, I, I endeavor to do, get back into team sports, hockey and, and baseball and that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, you, you might have bikepacking friends and triathlon yeah. friends and all of this. So there are different groups, right? And I do think that, that it spirals out into a really great life of where you have different people at different times and for different seasons. And, you know, so I don't know if that answered your question. Especially but, now with uh, fat biking coming into the picture too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're all different, right? All these people, you know, there's some overlap in the Venn diagrams, mm-hmm. but they're all different characters and, and, you know, different rides and different adventures. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's, you know, bikepacking to me is just like, this is this really neat thing. I, I, I could see myself. I always wanted to, I've been waiting for my, my older ages where I would start bike touring more and coasting. I always would say, I can't wait till I can coast. Uh, cause my coach growing up was always just, you know, no coasting, like always on the gas. Um, so I think that's, uh, I'm hesitant to go into FKTs with bikepacking. Cause I think I'm more wired up here to just enjoy it and, and yeah. stop for coffee and so I don't know. We might do. But you, I don't know. You seem like the competitive guy, so you might actually, you know, go out there with the idea of like, I'm going to enjoy this, and I'm going to stop at coffee shops. But then you're going to be like, as you take your first sip, is, did that person just pass me? Oh, yeah. I got to get back yeah. on the bike. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. We're going to do. A, I want to do at least part of the no winter maintenance uh, this year. We'll see. That's all the roads I grew up riding were on that no winter maintenance. Oh, that, cool. Uh, Matt Katie made so. It's something that I'd love to, I wanted to do it the last two years, but we just haven't got around to to mm-hmm. going for it. Just with a couple of friends. Where are you guys it. living? 
We're in Collingwood, yeah. You're in Collingwood, in, yeah. Okay. I grew up in Mansfield, so just south of there. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And I say that's like if anyone's looking for the hilliest and the best training for anything gravel, you know, Leadville, it's that Orangeville all the way up to Collingwood swath of gravel greatness, which is what the no winter maintenance, a big chunk yeah. of the BTs in there. A right lot of like uh, hydro line trails too, and there's lots there. Just every road, like we have Airport Road, and, and there's good stuff on either side of them too. But Airport Road and 124 go up to Collingwood, basically up that towards Georgian Bay, and and just everything in between. There's about six lines of just gravel. Like mm. it doesn't even matter. Like I don't even need to give you a route if you just find those two roads on a map. Go go going between towards, them somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, go towards Georgian Bay. Um, you'll you'll have a great ride. Um, and that's so yeah. So that's where we are. Oh, that's wild, and um, yeah, I wanted to ask you a couple questions as well. So I know that. We, we talked about recently, we talked about strength training and even with the part of the coaching, a lot of it, you had me, you know, whether it's pull-ups, push-ups, uh, squats, body weight squats, or with slightly weighted, um, you know, how important is to do this strength training in the off season? And is it more an age thing or is it just something everybody should do? It's a good question. I think, you know, age is the reason I think a lot of us are getting interested in this. I, I, I predicted that this year we're going to see an even bigger push on on strength training uh, for these. Again, most of the clients, when I speak about stuff, it's generally towards busy adults. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, if someone's a pro tour person listening to this, you know, <laughs> it may not it may not apply to them, you know, the elite uh, and the youngsters. But I think, you know, the idea is that the younger you get into strength training, the more proficient you're going to come become at it. You're going to build muscle. And then we want to carry that skill and that muscle into older age. Um, and that's just going to help metabolism. It's going to help, you know, what we call activities of daily living. You know, can you get yourself to mm -hmm. the toilet and back? Um, and then I think, so that's sometimes the way we sell it, but some people don't like the aging sell on it. So for, our, you know, our bike packers, especially like you're depleting yourself hugely so i would say this is a year-round thing where it's very time efficient it's only 15 30 minutes maybe mm -hmm. 60 if you're keen on it but i try and keep most people 15 to 30 minutes of just our key normal lifts your squats your pushes your pulls um and and, and we're just trying to make you you know be able to lift more weight so that <clears throat> when you're pushing a bike when your neck is you know your back you know your all this stuff hopefully won't go as quickly and you're a bit more resilient right? yeah um I think it just, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, I, I guess as well, um, you know, when you're doing something really like the the BT and you're pushing yourself for, I think I was 56 hours, I think I had burned like 27,000 calories, uh, according to, to Garmin. And, um, you know, at some point, if you're not working out and lifting and building some muscle mass, you, you are starting to burn, you're starting to consume some of your muscle during that activity. So by not working out and lifting, you're you're going to put yourself back more, right? Like the recovery time is going to take longer because you now have to rebuild some muscle that's been consumed by yeah. your body, I guess. Yeah, I would say there's probably no way around. Again, that's the depletion part is you're probably running into deficits no matter what, what you do. So, so there's probably a bit. It sounds really bad that you're like consuming muscle. I, I think you know, <laughs> one-offs, it's not a big deal. You're going to get back on top of that. But yeah. I think because so much of those, you know, the training of cycling period, and then also these endurance events are depleting, um, it, it does make a lot of sense to do strength training. And this is that idea, even what you said about intervals, right? Is it's almost like polarizing it a bit. Like, you know, you're going to go ride for a long time at a, a relatively easy pace. Um, but we should also do really high intensity sprints and, mm -hmm. and maybe some of this other stuff. 
so that we can increase that capacity. And I try and sell it to clients. You, you've do, done some of these tests where we test, you know, your what your sort of aerobic threshold might be or, or the all day pace, I call it. That can only go so high if if your threshold and your sprint and your you know your max deadlift if they're not very high you know you're lifting ten pounds off the ground you're you know just your baby off the ground yeah um you know you can only go so fast all day and so if you want to go faster all day we want to bring up those other other uh, capacities if you will you know if you can deadlift twice your body weight you know you can lift a fair watt so pedaling at these little tiny wattages isn't a big deal but if that's max for you a 10 pound deadlift then hopefully that makes sense right that those thresholds you know they they sort of influence each other yeah and i and i feel like because you know when covid came i stopped going to the gym because the gym's all closed down and so i definitely i lost a lot of upper body strength with which is not necessarily important if you're a road biker but when you're a bike packer like you said pushing a bike up a mountain all of a sudden you realize like oh man i need some strength so when it came time to do push-ups again, I hadn't done push-ups in a couple of years. I was like, okay, I'm on my knees. I, I elongate myself so I'm as long as possible. And so I'm doing my push-ups on my knees and felt like a chump. But hey, that's okay. Like I had to start over from scratch. Same with pull-ups. Like the first uh, first time I jumped on the pull-up bar, it was like two or three. So now it's six or seven, you know. Um, I'm not an overly strong upper body guy in that sense. I have a good grip strength. I can carry stuff, but when it comes to like shoulder areas and chest, definitely lacking. And I think that mm-hmm. it's been hitting the right places, you know? And so, yeah. And so what we're hoping, you know, again, specific to your goals is that when you're trying to hold your body up and, you know, there's bumpy roads and this, this sort of thing is if you can do say 10 pull-ups that, or, or, or 20 push-ups or whatever the number is, it doesn't, you, mm-hmm. know, you, you can do more than you can do now or, or you could do in the past. Um, we hope that you're going to f- stay together longer because your body can hold that load. You holding your body weight up when you can do, you know, uh, 20, 20 pushups or a body mm-hmm. weight bench press, or again, 10 pull-ups, it's just not as big a load. So you're, it's not stressing your system. Whereas if you can, you can't, you, you know, you know, hold a plank say, then if you want to try and hold your body up in a plank on your bicycle, you know, for this long aero bar or not, you're going to yeah. have some, some problems eventually, right? Like this, I think that makes some logical mechan- mechanistic sense. So you actually brought up a good one. One thing I struggle with, not necessarily planks, but side planks. Side planks, um, I have very soft ankles. And so mm-hmm. when I do a side plank, I feel like my bottom foot just kind of buckles down to the floor. And it's like my ankles laying on the ground. I can't support it. And then I also mm-hmm. get some issues up in the side. And what would be a solution? Like I've been using one knee kind of extended sure. knee um, yeah so there's a bunch there that it's funny cyclists don't move side to side very well so no. you're, de- you're, you're describing sort of side to side muscles so i would say you know that's great you know do those things um i, I would tell you no ego with the knee planks or knee side planks you know that where we're on our bottom knee and you can do leg raises i do that, the leg raises yeah which is great i also love the the clamshells and the i call it the jane fonda so every friday we do uh yoga with clients and i often include but the jane fonda and most people know what i mean by that but the, on the, the knee with the knee going up you're just laying sort of you know in a casual pose on your side body's on the ground and you're just going to raise the top leg basically uh really pushing from that hip so sort of that side pocket area and that's that those side glutes the the glute medius and all those little side of your hip muscles um are, should start burning in that uh, jane okay. fonda <laughs> i was thinking it made me think when you the, the pose it's like i'm thinking like richard simmons <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and I mean, he probably did some too, but his were a little more spastic. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> he probably was in that exact same pose. Um, so yeah, that those would be ones to try. You know, if some people just don't like siphonics, my elbows are so bashed up from crashing okay. and bashing into trees. So I don't like doing it very much on my elbow. I can pat it, but a lot of times I'll do it off of my hand for a bit of variation or I'll do the Jane Fonda. But you can also, I, I, I hesitate to have people on the ground too much. So I also like, you know, the band sideways walking is very similar where you put bands around your knees or ankle and mm-hmm. you walk sort of sideways. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, pretty similar exercise. And you could debate, you know, now we're on our feet. So it's a little bit more, you know, practical from that perspective. Um, the other one, so, you know, ankles, that's a whole other thing, but let's focus on the, the hip and the moving side to side and, and that the weighted walks. So, you know, holding your heaviest dumbbell in one hand and then suitcase walk down and back okay. in your, your basement that's also going to work the low back and that's going to work the side of those hips. And so we can do farmer's carry, which is two hands. You can mm-hmm. do suitcase carry as one hand. You can do, uh, like, what is this one called? But you can put like the weights over your head if they're, especially if they're just lighter weights and that'll add a bunch more core work in there. So okay. Yeah. Cause I've been kind of skipping that workout because I just didn't have something at hand to do it with. Um, my yeah, heaviest weight anything. is only 20 pounds and it feels pretty lacking. Yeah. So putting it overhead can help there on your shoulder or, or really hugging like a bag of salt or okay. a bag of sand to your chest, you know, or a backpack I'll with go, all your weights. I'll go to the Canadian Tire and get an extra bottle, bag of um, softener salt. It's it's one of those ones that does get skipped often, but it's one of those ones that just, it hits a lot of stuff. And, and you can, some people will say, well, I don't have much room, but you can march on the spot and really hold your knee and, and pause for like one, two, three, and then mm-hmm. step and then hold for one, two, three. And it, it just, it covers a lot of stuff. So those weighted walks are another spot where you're okay. going to hit, you know, side to side. Yeah. Cause I'm getting back to work next week for the first time in a long time. Parental leave is officially over. And, yep. um, so I was thinking about getting a gym membership either at the local community center or at like an anytime fitness and just try to get in there for that 15 to 30 minutes before I go to work. Yeah. And you'll be, you'll be behind the, the new year's rush there. Everyone will be done their two weeks in the gym so you <laughs> yeah. can start up then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be I think it's, you know, when we're selling this to cyclists, it's often they think they're wasting their time. So it does drop off in season, but it's it's one of those things, especially for busy adults, it, it's one of the most time effective things as far as the benefits you're yeah. going to get from it. You know, the it's pretty, it, the weather doesn't matter. Um, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Don't, sometimes we'll, we'll load up something off of YouTube or, or a thing and it'll be an hour, an hour and a half. It doesn't, we don't want long. We just want to work on mm-hmm. whatever heavy is for us. So for you, you know, a set of two by or three by three pull-ups would probably be a great workout with a bit of squatting and, and you could probably be done for the day. Yeah. I think some squats um, or like some, um, weighted lunges. So just walking lunges, lunges and lunges, you know, the one leg stuff is nicer if you, you don't have a lot of weight, especially because then mm-hmm. you're loading up individual, you know, you're one side and the other side. So you're increasing the load. So that's anything worth. I always say, get name two exercises for me and that's your workout for the next couple of weeks and you'll, okay. you'll see improvement. Right. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So what else should we talk about um, from a training perspective as well? Um, you know, it, yeah, it is winter. Sure it's it's tough. Much, we yeah. haven't talked too much. It's, it's been about me, but that's okay. Um, what, uh, <clears throat> you know, it is winter and it's it's hard to, to find the time to, I mean, it's hard to get on the bike. Otherwise you're indoors uh, a lot of the times. So I do have a fat bike, but it's kind of just wet and gross outside these days. And um, yes. so what, what would be the things I should focus on? Like, how do you, how do you, develop a plan that helps athletes throughout the winter and what do you kind of focus on is it more of the strength building or yeah i mean we started with that question of who are you and what are you trying to do right where 
we're we're looking at you know if if you're someone coming from the tour to france and you need to learn how to bike pack you know this this might be you know uh, your winter for uh, winter camping and and you know some of these ski the big ski marathons you have Mm -hmm. out uh towards gatineau um you know that that might be you know where we go but a lot of my clients are going to use all the things you're talking about they're going to try and cross train on the weekend if they can get to the skiing or the fat biking or the hockey or the whatever uh, and then they're going to use an indoor trainer a bit as well um and then as i say this is the year i think strength training is going to be bigger in, in at least in cycling uh so we're doing more strength training a lot of people are at home now uh you know thanks to the pandemic they've yeah. picked up picked up a couple more weights at home and a pull-up bar for the door and away they go so that's that's that i don't know if i answered your question about how we would build the plan but that's you know for the busy people we're just trying to gradually increase that load over the the week right the the limiter for most people is they have about eight hours and and they can't you know just do that logical progression or that linear progression Mm -hmm. of eight eight ten twelve and then ten twelve fourteen and then you know like we might read in a book so we're trying to just do what we can and and periodically maybe get out on that longer weekend ride which is what i would have for you right is especially for the Mm -hmm. bike packers i try and always include at least once a month something that's like a big adventure and you might go do a big ski or a big fat bike or a combination of everything you have or who knows yeah it's been um you know the big ride has always been it i i typically got them done but it's been hard to you got to wiggle wiggle it around your life you know because so if my wife had plans for us on the saturday then it'd get pushed to sunday and sure. and then my recovery ride sunday or on monday i would instead of just a day off i might do a slight a smaller recovery ride or something you know just trying to figure out a way to make it all work i think you mm-hmm. had this really great 80 percent aim for 80 percent if you can get 80 percent of everything done you're you're kind of that's right. That's one of our three tenants. Yes. So 80% is a passing grade, which is one I, I realized in school, I went, you know, again to university and it just, it struck me at some point, I was glad it did was just the same papers, the piece, same, the same piece of paper at the end of this, whether I get a hundred or 80. So it's just, you know, and, and I always say 80, a lot of people are like, ah, you know, especially the, the folks I work with are overachievers, you know, these type A's who yeah. have done really well for themselves in, in work, especially um often in sport too and so it's it really put they push back but it's so important to long-term consistency to any of these big events like it's just not going to go perfect and and you're going to give up and you're going to get frustrated so 80 percent is a passing grade um i I can go through all the tenants if you want go for it yeah yeah so 90 percent. so it's 80 90 100 so 90 percent. so 90 percent of life is showing up so again, you might have, you might not be a five hour adventure that I had in your calendar, but if you do two hours on the trainer, that's a bit of an adventure. And yeah, you know, there you go. You carry on with the day, right? We, we live to fight another day. 90% of life is showing up. So it's just 10 minutes of strength training and that's, we just keep moving. We do what we can. Um, and then the last one is a hundred percent. So much of the training process is spent purposefully not going a hundred percent. So that's, not doing suffer fest intervals and vomiting very often, mm-hmm. um, you know, not racing every day, not striving every day. Uh, also not pushing ourselves as far as the time we have in the day. So again, you, you maybe could have done five hours on that day. Your, your family was doing stuff. You could have got up at three in the morning and, and ridden till eight. I've seen this stuff. Yeah. I know people but, have done that too. Yeah. Right. Right. Because it was on the plan or because you have to, because the only way you could ever finish the BT 700 is if you ride for five hours. Right. And we get so tied to these numbers, but I think the key is to not be, we call this leaving slack is you just can't be at a hundred percent of capacity. Yeah. You know, maybe once or twice a year we push, you know, right before the big race for some people, we might push to that razor's edge of elite performance of elite, like everything you can handle. 
but we want to stay back from it because we know there's going to be other stuff coming into our yeah. cup. And I felt like I felt at first, you know, when I when I was looking for a coach and, you know, I definitely am a busy person. So I think something like what you kind of planned for me works really well. Um, but I also felt like in, in some ways that, hey, if I'm not really putting in all those hours, am I actually going to get to that level I want? But I guess upon reflection, to some degree, I thought, you know, I'll, like, for example, I'll use Brooke. Brooke had been working with you for a while. And I mean, he crushed the FKT. He put it to a bar where it would be tough to beat it. I mean, somebody will at some point. Maybe it'll be me. But it's going to take time and it's going to take effort. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I think, um, you know, most people don't have a coach. So just even having a coach where I'm working eight hours a week or, you know, with some big adventures. So eight to what, like say eight to 12 or eight to 15 hours a week, depending as mm -hmm. we build up mm -hmm. through the weeks. Yeah, I guess it depends I'm already on 12 hour ride on the weekend. That many hours ahead, <laughs> that much training ahead of the average Joe, right? Or even the average racer. And most people mm -hmm. don't have a coach. Most people look at. Well, and we know, you know, yeah, for your, you know, if you were doing the Tour de France or something like this, then, you know, we know it's more clear where how the fitness you know the goes into that and when i say fitness you know I, I try and expand fit for the task right where you you're to be fit for the task um you have to be very good at a lot of things you know the experience the mm -hmm. gear the, the nutrition the route finding whereas you know someone in the tour de france or you know something like really narrow like something like track cycling i don't want to you know these sports have lots of different elements and tactics in them yeah. too right but it's a you know maybe zwift racing is our best one maybe no one will argue with me on that like it's a bit more clear what the you know the engine requirements are um so that's the cool thing for you is that you can get better in so many ways you know a little lighter here on your mm -hmm. bike a little better you know your e-trex maybe is going to be the new savior in your navigation who knows <laughs> who knows um you know or, or you say a different you know fueling strategy you know there's so many different things that, you know that can make you faster so um yeah i guess that's that's the thing with these these short periods is we're just trying to keep you consistent and let that fitness and that health improve right you said you went into last year a little undertrained and a little probably way place. under trained actually i just so if <clears> but i decided last second race. i'm going anyways i'm i'm doing it i'm i'm not, i wasn't working just the way my life was at the time yeah i gotta let the dog out go on indigo um i wasn't working at the moment um you know i was home there was somebody to be here with my wife and the baby so it kind of was like i'm gonna go do this and even though i know i probably that's a lot of money you know a lot of driving down there and buying all that food and stuff you know it's, a, it's still a big investment and probably i should have not but i wanted to go to a grand depart i wanted to be part of that you know and um so yeah in, in as a as an athlete i should have known and judged the situation but i i chose to go do it anyways and even knowing i wasn't in the the right body shape or you know fitness shape had some little injuries that were bothering me Oh, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know why I decided to go in the end, but it was fun. Yeah. So when you're looking at it, it's just, can you be a little fitter? You know, and I say, you know, whatever that is a threshold test or, you know, just, you can ride a three hour ride and, and it's a little faster than it was. Yeah. So you're, you're more fit for cycling, right? Your physiology is better. And then from a health perspective, can we take care of some of those niggles so that you're not going in injured? And that's when we get to that, you know, the slack in the system is if you can show up at the race and just be healthy mm -hmm. from a baseline, you know, again, strong pretty consistent on your bike your bike's all set up and not broken um you know you have a plan you have all this stuff to me that's like you're fit for the task and now like go and then you know we'll see what happens once you get into it but 
if it's if you're starting niggles crappy bike you know haven't been training you know and, and was the reason you weren't training because you know it had to be five hours of riding every day versus, that was that was the know, problem yeah the yeah my my mindset at the time was like oh we have a baby my mother-in-law's here i'm gonna have so much time to go ride my bike but then i didn't really plan my schedule so i only get out for big rides once every week or so but i wasn't doing the small rides and i think that's where i was losing it was uh, i wasn't getting out for the interval training and just to build a bit of strength and speed and power and yeah which which all counts right and this is the thing is you know how much do we actually need to get a stimulus in the system mm-hmm. and that's i think it's yeah often a lot less than folks folks need yeah i think yeah, just just getting out there and being out there like you said 90 percent of the time is showing up i think uh mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean you have to do a big training ride or a big intervals ride but just getting out there and being active and try to do and even if it's not you know you don't have a plan you could just say okay i'm gonna do some little sprints you know and with a little rest in between and i don't know next mm-hmm. time i'll do longer sprints and if it's rest in between um, yeah. And that idea, that's where I really love that idea of the thresholds, you know, or the, you know, just you have your endurance, your all day pace, and then there's say threshold over that, or say VO2 over that, or sprint mm-hmm. over that, you know, your, your max deadlift over that maybe, you know, a lot of that stuff, if we just keep working on those, you know, the, the all day pace sort of comes along for the ride. I think yeah. the long rides are important. <clears throat> and so again, periodically every two weeks, every 10 days, every month, whatever, I think for the bike packers, it is probably important to do a bit of that button seat time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think it has to be a, you know, three times a week. Or, or no, for like sure. Yeah. How important is, um, I know like one of the big things that you, you push is the maximum heart rate. And, you know, rather than focusing on power, because I don't have a power meter and lots of people don't, um, the the maximum percentage of maximum heart rate. And you you've kind of drive into through your program that you know a lot of your time should be below 75 percent. why is that important and i mean i know when i raced triathlon and stuff uh, as an amateur for sure in malaysia um a lot of my training rides i would if i had time to go for a 40k ride i was riding it as hard as i could if i was going out with uh friends on a in malaysian their weekend was friday saturday if i was going out for a friday morning ride we were going to do 60 or 100k we pushed it to you know uh there was never an easy ride. Why is it so important? And why is it something you push so much to have these easier paced rides? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's the third tenant, isn't it? Um, it's just not pushing to that limit all the time. And so, you know, some people are familiar with that polarized concept. Um, you know, the idea that sort of 80% of our time is very easy. Um, Steven Seiler has a great podcast or sorry, a great Ted talk, I should say about sort of this idea of, of most of the training being easier. This is how most of the, you know, best in the world train, um, the, the short answer I think is that like, if it's miserable all the time, it's not going to be as fun. Um, the long answer is, is that, you know, we want that endurance system to build because that's the base of most of the cycling disciplines, even the mm. short ones, what we would consider short have a big, big aerobic component to it. So we're trying to train that aerobic system, that all day pace that you could call it fat burning. If you want, you can call it whatever you want. Uh, but that under aerobic threshold or under about 75% of max heart rate, um, it's about under 75% of uh, threshold power if you're into power. Um, we're just working on that. And then what that should let us do is go quite hard, you know, quite focused. Sometimes I talk about focus instead of the actual intensity. The, the other, you know, day or two or, you know, for my youngsters, it's it's more like three days they can go really hard in the week. But we only have so many days where we can go hard. 
now if you try and go hard every day, then it ends up being moderate every day, right? We regress to the mean. So that's where we end up with these not super training stimuli uh, and then also stressful rides in terms of just like it's spun up the central nervous system a bit. So the the idea is that, that it becomes hard to recover immunity gets affected you know potentially just the the consistency over time just ideally isn't you know isn't probably as good as we would like so that's that's some ideas i guess why you might ride and, 75%. and i and maybe also riding a little bit easier paced also helps you avoid injury right so if you're riding hard every day you're probably more prone to straining a muscle straining ligaments achilles or anything right well, that's it. Yeah. It's just any of these loads. And, and again, that's where, you know, when you sort of go, is the line exactly at 75% for everyone? No, of course not. Right. Like I have uh, a lot of the, my, you know, the bike packer and, and elite gravel riders I work with, like it's probably a bit higher than that. Uh, and we triangulate this with feeling, you know, this is the talk test. This is the, you know, it just isn't pushing. Um, and, 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 you know, we can also triangulate with power. A lot of them know, you know, about what the power zones are. Right. But we, we we try and ride at this sub-maximal pace most of the time um, just because that's what what cycling is, right? It's just this aerobic, aerobic yeah, skill. Yeah, especially and, in bikepacking. I mean, you, you really have to be able to just – I mean, you're never pushing it extremely, extremely hard, um, you know, like you would road racing. Uh, it's always just a constant, you know? Yeah, so people ask, how do you ride all day? It's like, well, it's not difficult to ride all day. You just have to be on your bike, you know? That's the, that's the only thing. Like, it's just a matter of turning your legs and not stopping. And, and I will say, you know, when, when folks are new, you know, if they're they're more on the, you know, they haven't done a lot of cycling training, their fitness, you know, from a physiology perspective, their cycling fitness is not that high, so they don't push that much power. What you'll find is that your heart rate is is quite high, you know, so it's very hard to pedal a bike or a run. Yeah. You know, running is more obvious. Like, you have to walk to stay under 75%. So there's always this push and pull of, well, I want to run, but you're telling me to walk, um, or, you know, you want to ride faster, but I'm telling you to ride slower. Uh, so there's always this push and pull of like, how do you get to the point? You know, do you, do you care when you start? So what I usually tell, uh, new riders is it doesn't matter so much for them. Um, you know, I think they want to feel like the ride is not like a vomit pace or, and that it's miserable pace all the time. I think that's still true. The feeling matters, but I say their focus is frequency. So until you're riding, you know, five and six days a week, um, the, the frequency piece is probably the more important piece and just not so much that you can't ride the next day is is probably the, so we'll get tied up where everyone rides at 80%. And I, I don't know that it matters so much for the, the newer riders, um, until they're riding a bit more and what should happen is as you ride more then your heart rate generally will start trending down for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons as you you know quote unquote get fitter yeah as i remember when i was at my my fittest um i think my rest, resting heart rate rate uh, i can't speak my resting heart rate was around 53 beats a minute like it was really low and you know i was blown away that it could be that low um but now it's definitely a little bit higher i'm not at my fitness fittest i'm probably around 87 kilos so like 190 or 192 pounds people are always surprised they say you don't look it and i said yeah but it's probably a lot of muscle mass too like in the legs and glutes mm-hmm. and stuff um i know when i raced like i did some xterra while i lived in sweden in 2016 and i had this great opportunity to do three duathlons one every month exactly four weeks apart and i was doing a kind of like the you know chicken and fish and broccoli or greens diet uh, with carb loading every fourth day. And 
which was pretty plain crappy rice. But um, I felt that when I hit around 78 kilograms, I was really fit. I was fast. I was strong. I was powerful. 78 is what? One, because we're North Americans, right? I shouldn't know that. Um, 78 is what? 156, 166, 172 pounds. And so I felt when I was at that weight, 172, I was really strong and powerful. And But when I went down to about 73 kilos, so about 10 pounds less, all of a sudden I was like, I was weak. I was, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do things. I was, I just didn't have the power. Um, now being the weight I am, what are some things I can do to get back down to that without going on this fish and fish and chicken diet, uh, which is like a bodybuilder's diet my old housemate had yeah, taught me. Yeah, and this gets, I like this discussion of, you know, the, the weight. It's something I really have never focused on too much with anyone I work with. Okay. Um, you know, power to weight is not something, you know, until Zwift came around and we were trying to put all our kids on Zwift and tell them how much they weighed. Like I, I have, I think there's a, an issue with some of this, so I, but that's an aside. I don't want to get too far sure. down there, but so we want to focus on fitness is not weight. Weight okay. is not fitness. Um, you know, so we do want to focus on a, the power side of things, I think is a healthy thing to focus on is not the power to weight, but the actual power you're pushing. Cause a lot of people, when we look at that, this gets back to that 75%. If the power you push at 75%, the test I give is, you know, you warm up very, very gradually. Some people don't have to warm up much because the second they start moving, they're at 75%. Mm -hmm. So they can press lap and, and start recording. I want to know the power, or if you're just, you know, a bike packer and you have a nice rail trail that's out and back, you could maybe ride 15 or 16 minutes yeah. out and then, you know, 15 or 16 minutes back. And then I want you to tell me how far or, or what the pace was, what the, the power was under 75%. Now, a lot of people will find that it's not a, a very high number. Um, you know, my elites, they're going to be up in like 250, 260, 270 watts. That might not mean a lot, but that's like 35 kilometers an hour or so. Um, you know, even on a gravel bike, probably, right? They, they're moving. Um, mm -hmm. And this is their all-day pace. Um, and that's the difference, right? A lot of clients, when they come to me, are uh, men maybe like a 150, 160 watts, Um and then women maybe like, you know, 100 watts. But then again, I have women who are up at, you know, 150, 160. Uh, you know, the the rough thing to sort of watch for women would be that their the heart rate started to get closer to what the power is, if that makes sense. So the, okay. what we call it efficient. This is very technical, but the efficiency factor is getting towards one uh, or over one. Men, you know, you're going to start seeing it go up towards 1.5 or so. And that's just the heart rate divided by the, the power, so to speak. Um, all that to say... I want to see the power increase and a lot of people can see the power increase and then the work capacity increases. So we could extend that then to strength training too, is can you lift, are you lifting 10 pound weights and, and complaining about weight, you know, your body weight, mm -hmm. I should say your mass. Can we try and increase the weight that you're lifting too, and, and that capacity. So uh, that's where I like to focus the discussion. You know, certainly we can talk about some basics around, you know, broccoli is good. This is good. Um, we use the precision nutrition checklist of, you know, you're eating a couple, you know, three meals, usually a day. And they have protein, vegetables, carbohydrate, fat. And then are you eating slowly? So not in a car, not, you know, a random smoothie or Yeah, or I grew up like, in a military family. So people are always like, how do you eat so fast? And I'm like, man, yeah. I try to eat slow. It's just impossibly yeah, so, hard. It's so there's like, usually a few levers there, right? Like we're having Cheerios for breakfast or just oatmeal is like a classic cyclist thing. But okay, well, that didn't have all those checklist items, right? So how do we mm -hmm. find some, some, maybe some blueberries, maybe some chia seeds, maybe eggs on the side, whatever, right? Now we have protein, veggies, fat, um, carbs, and, and so on. It, it doesn't sound very complex, but I, I think that's, you know, that, that's our basic thing. And that's where we start from because a lot of people can see progress if they just edge that way. And probably um, if, if you get those 
you know, four categories into you in breakfast time and at supper time and all, all times. Uh, it's that one more thing that will stop you from grabbing a bag of chips or eating chocolate. Um, and this or, is what we see as the, the fasting or whatever. I think all these things are things that are possible and I've seen work in some cases, but more often than not, you know, the fasting, that's what it results in is, you know, just really poor choices later, poor energy, less weight lifted, no, poor frequency. Mm -hmm. the injury illness you know and then in a month are you doing it right sometimes when we zoom out and we think can we do this you know for 10 years 20 years yeah uh, that's that's also the question right is you know well, what's the plan after today or this you know january fasting uh, experiment so again i'm a bike coach so i always come back to you know have you pushed the power and the frequency and the the you know are you doing the weekly long ride is there you know are there some levers we can pull there um the other thing that you know this is the story i tell is about my mountain biking i always i i've been light my, my life i guess that's like you know i've been privileged that i'm i'm a smaller person but a coach just recently was it was for coaches this like webinar i was on and he was like yeah so in um he's worked with a lot of high level people and he said so you can't be a professional mountain biker at the top if you're uh i can't remember what it was 67 kilos you had to be like over 67 or 68 kilos and like i always was under 65 <laughs> and I was like, well, that's what I tried to do for 20 years was be a professional. And I was like, why did no one ever tell me this? Like, I just should have been deadlifting and eating more. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the problem is that in that discipline, if you don't go very hard, the absolute power, if you can't hit whatever it is, a thousand watts, and then for three minutes, you hold 600 watts right. and you do it repeatedly, you know, for, for 90 minutes, then you're just not in the race. Right. And especially the start is very mm. important in, in triathlon. You know, you have to swim fast. And if you don't have upper body, you know, if you're just a little tiny cyclist, you're not going to keep up in the swim and then you're yeah. not going to be probably in the lead. There's a little bit more room to pace. In yeah, the I was always really so good at the swim and the bike, but the run was what killed me. Like I was just never a runner. So, <clears throat> right. And so then you get into, this is the other piece within the bike packing and, and the late in the triathlon is, are you resilient enough to not get sick, to not break down, to not, you know, to have the resources on you? Um, so I would say bikepacking to me, you want to go in, not again, you want to be healthy. So if, if you're carrying extra body fat, then this is a piece uh, and you can get, you know, some people need to go and, and you know, talk with a nutritionist and, and get help with that. Um, if, if, you know, if that's their goal, but for, I think it's okay, you know, to think about bikepacking as something that you need to have resilience for mm -hmm. and to be like hardy, hardy even, right. We don't want to be super, uh, you know, uh, sort of, you don't want to be injured going in. You don't want to be uh, super depleted going right. into these events either. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. for it's me a, personally, it's uh, definitely some, I'm, I'm definitely trying. Well, I mean, the last couple months seem to have been a lot more snacking and get togethers and stuff, you know, so it's really tough. Um, and I hadn't had the willpower to just not eat or drink. Um, so moving into the yeah. new year, I seem and to be like every other person where I'm going to, I'm going to not drink beer and, I think beer is probably one of the worst things because it's so easy that that beer belly and it's just sure. it's it's bloating right so sometimes yeah that's where to start the nutrition thing is like what are you doing right now and then how you know greg layman is a physio chiro that we really like and and he's not a nutritionist but he asks you know when someone's in chronic pain they have back pain is how can you be healthier not just you know what exercises can you do for your back but because pain is multifactorial just like your bikepacking event is multifactorial mm -hmm. Weight loss, multifactorial, you know, your sleep, your nutrition, your socializing, your stress, uh, nutrition, I don't think I said, or no, exercise is what I missed in that, uh, your movement throughout the day, we'll call it movement, not exercise. There's a lot of levers you can pull. So if you ask someone, you know, how could you be just a little bit healthier? And you say, well, I'm having two beers a day, and I'm going to try and drop down to one on a Saturday after the big ride or with the big game on the weekend. 
that's probably <laughs> right. I've seen a lot of men drop, you know, women get mad when you say this, but you know, the, that's, that's it probably <laughs> if yeah. that's a lever you can pull and that saves, you know, everything else, just keep it like you're doing fine probably, but can you find, you know, when I say, how could you be just a titch healthier? If there's something that comes to mind, that's probably the one to start with. Yeah. So my, my goal here moving into the new year, cause I do want to be in a better place next year for, for events and stuff. And um, it's, you know, I've, I actually just listened to a, um, I think it was a podcast where Lionel Sanders was uh, talking about his own racing career and how he, you know, people aren't scared of him anymore as a as a world class triathlete and this and that. And then, is it Lionel Sanders? I think so, right? Um, from Southern Ontario. Yeah, he's pretty extreme. I would say. And, and he was like, "I'm fucking pissed. Ago. I'm pissed. I'm not like this. Is I got to be angry. I got to get back into this and dedicate myself. And I mean, I'm not like him that extreme, but I think." last year disappointed me in some ways with when it came to events and the way I cycled. And so this year I'm just kind of trying to keep those goals in mind more, be more aware and, uh, you know, show up and be healthier, maybe not as much beer, not as much chips, things like that. Things that, you know, are so accessible sometimes, um, and try to eat healthier. So I guess, uh, we'll see how that goes. I love it. Well, I need to drop here. Um, yeah, me too. This has been a wide-ranging conversation. I appreciate your time. I do appreciate your time as well. All right. I won't hang up, but I will push. I will end the recording, and we can have a, a minute or two. Thanks for thanks for your time. Cool. Yeah, back at you. All right. To finish up, I just want to thank Peter for his time. He is an extremely busy person. I know that. And, um, I mean, aren't we all? But I want to thank him for for taking that time to tee up. It was a while ago. Um, I know he hasn't released this yet either, so he is really busy. I I took a little bit of downtime, but I'm super happy to have finally put this out here and uh, let you guys hear what we talk about. And, you know, it really was just my questions to him were really just based off of my own personal thoughts, concerns, and um, what... I didn't really know or understand, you know, or wanted to know more about. So um, if you guys do have questions, things that you, you know, that maybe I didn't ask that you thought are worthwhile and you would like to know more about it, please do reach out to me um, at bike at bikepackadventures.ca and I'll get in touch with Peter and I'll ask him and I'll include it into one of the future episodes as a kind of an intro thing so thank you guys thank you for listening and uh there will be another episode really interesting one coming real soon talk to you soon and keep on pedaling bye-bye i want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments i regularly receive from you it really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories if you have questions or comments you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.